Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode. Sorry, it's been a little bit uh, more of a layoff than we are used to, but the last couple of months have been hectic. Uh, We did X Games, we did the AusX Open, then we did New Zealand. And practically none of that was planned. Uh, In between, we had to do uh, a shoot for the guys at Fox Australia, which is live now. You can Google that uh, or type it into YouTube. Uh, Dean Ferris, MX19, made for the next step. Boom. Uh, Turned out really, really good. I'm very stoked on it. It was the first moto thing uh, I've done, I think, since Dungy's Homegrown Project. So it's been a minute for me. Uh, to get back on there, uh, and it's fitting because that is today's guest, Dean Ferris, um, and this is a really, really good podcast. Um, Dean's a guy that I haven't had a lot to do with over the years, but as we talk about in the podcast, we've known each other for over 10 years now. Uh, he's a guy that keeps to himself. He lives up in the hills in Kyogle, uh, and even like people that know him don't seem to know him that well he's like an enigma wrapped in a mystery um but he just keeps to himself he's not a guy that wants like all of the excess that can come with being a uh, motocross champion uh he just is a dude that is super super competitive and he has a real insatiable drive to do well uh super uh self-motivated and it just makes him an interesting dude and i honestly was apprehensive about doing a podcast with Dean because I just didn't know what I'd get out of him and how much he would say or give away but it turns out he really uh really opened up during this podcast he's a fun dude um when I did go up to Kyogle and hang out with him uh and I think it translates in this podcast uh just got to give a quick shout out to our awesome sponsors first cab off the ranks the homies at Nobby Underwear. Uh, this has been a super, super fun year working with these guys. Like I, I cannot say enough uh, about not just the product, but the people behind this brand. They've opened up so many doors for us this year. Um, and I had no idea what we we're in for when we did a deal with these guys. Um, and that's what I want. I really want the advertisers and the supporters of this podcast to really become a part 
of the culture of this whole thing. And that's really what's happened. Um, but with that being said, if you want to join the Nobby Nation and get in on this thing of ours that we've got going, uh, you can head to nobbyunderwear.com.au, 20 bucks every month, and that gets you a fresh pair of duds, unseen. It's just like a little Christmas present, 12 months of the year. And I, I like it. I'm not mad at it. They also just released a uh, like a Christmas gift pack collection. I'm quite sure that you can go online and buy that standalone just without the subscription. So if you want to test the waters, if you don't trust me, you don't take my word for it, uh, that they're the best undies you'll ever wear, uh, then go get yourself this little three pack. I think it's a two pack actually. Um, actually, yeah. yeah, it is a two pack and a stubby holder. I got it the other day. Uh get there check it out and then you know what that can be a little entree that can be a sample pack into the world of nobby uh and then from there pretty sure you're probably just going to sign up uh also big shout out to boost mobile uh you guys know how much of a fan i am of their data plans they're on the full 4g telstra network uh i don't think you can get a better pre-played pair uh blah, 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 blah prepaid plan say that three times fast uh in australia and they want to win a bunch of awards so i think that people that know more than me about prepaid plans also think that they're the best in australia all right so we have a new sponsor for this month which i'm pretty excited about it and that is the homies at motorcycle accessory supermarket mcas.com.au uh they are doing a massive christmas sale right now where you you'll score up to 69 percent across that entire store yep sounds like ronnie mack has had something to do with this deal uh speaking of deals if you use the promo code uh, Gypsy Gang in all caps, you'll receive a further 5% off all purchases, and that includes the stuff that is already marked down. Uh, so there's a minimum of 30% on all uh, 2018 motocross apparel, 50% off twin wall bars, uh, which I'm a huge fan of, and 20% off Belt Moto 9 Mips torch helmet, uh, and those helmets are gangster. My brother runs those, uh, Toby runs those, pretty much everyone runs Belt these days, I feel like. Uh, and then they've got a ton of road deals um, if you're a road bike guy, which I kind of want to be more and more. Um, I'm actually going to Vietnam to do a road bike tour with my family in February. So maybe I need to get on there and get some stuff as well. Um, so yeah, massive thanks to those guys for coming on board. Uh, definitely helps us out, especially as we close out the year, working on a new studio, all that jazz and it takes um it takes sponsors to make that happen so i really appreciate them coming on board and i really appreciate everybody that jumps on and uses that promo code get yourself some discounts um and yeah like i said before just thanks for everyone for supporting uh all of our sponsors and like the support lately with uh people joining the nobby nation has been incredible um random dudes coming up to me 4am in the uh, auckland casino showing me their nobbies so yeah i really appreciate it and uh it goes a long way to making uh this podcast better for everybody so appreciate it and without any more of me spewing nonsense dean ferris the great and powerful and mighty Dean Ferris joins us on the Gypsy Tales podcast today. What's happening, mate? How are you? Yeah, good, man. Um, actually, just done a bit of a road trip, packed up the van, and just heading heading away for a few days. Get it, you know, just get outside. 
Yeah, so Kyogle, I'm going to just adjust this real quick. Probably went a bit hard on that. So Kyogle is a pretty good place to be Dean Ferris when you're doing motos every single day and training. But now that you're not doing that, how is Kyogle? Does it get a little bit? Uh, does it get a little bit monotonous? Yeah, no, it's all right. I got a, I got a pretty cool little house on a hill, so um, it's pretty chilled. I got the farm, got my daughter, got my family. We um ride ride the one ten around and hang out in the farm. You know, just go hang out the cows. But uh, yeah, I was I was just saying that um kind of got sick of you know not going anywhere. I'm not used to that. So for those of you who don't know, I had a bit of a crash a few weeks ago. You know, it spelt the end of my season. So um I've just been kind of laid up at home and watching tv and i don't know doing whatever and just yesterday morning i was like oh renee we're, let's leave home i'm not used to it. i'm not i'm not used to being at home for the, you know three weeks on end so yeah uh, yeah on a bit of a road trip yeah that's awesome oh mate before we go any further holy shit the bachelor last night oh dude mate did you see that coming because uh, we're so I, all I right, think, we'll I, give we got to give people some context yeah so this isn't fully random the, what a couple of weeks ago we were shooting uh, the f- new Fox project which is going to drop around the same time as this yep. this podcast and we had a super windy day so there wasn't much else for us to do except watch the recorded episodes of The Bachelor so we're in on this yeah we are that was a whole crew of us and uh, we're, oh, that was a that was a sick episode we we're on the edge of our seat that was I don't know th- three weeks ago when it that was the camping episode wasn't it with Romy wasn't oh, it oh wasn't yeah it yeah, yeah. we watched two I think we watched two in yeah, a row yeah. and it was like when the mean chicks were there and, and the show was just epic was <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I kind of seen it coming that um, I, I did too by the end I was like uh, yeah he's not, he's not I mean the last him. couple of weeks I was like it feels like he's just let it go and he's just he's just doing what he has to do on this show and then like i don't know brooke walking out that was that was big that was big i didn't expect that she was a favorite and i'm like oh something's happening here like the producers are kind of you know it was like a little cop out for him or something so what was i didn't watch that episode what was his reason for kicking her out um no no brooke walked out because she she got all she she got all insecure so on their last date you know he wasn't really giving her much to work with and brooke's like oh no it's over so anyway she walked out and then he was left with the other two and yeah well if if you haven't watched yeah we know what happened he just didn't didn't choose one so what he's got what he's done is he's gone look ratings are through the roof every single hot chick in australia now knows who the badger is yeah and i'm gonna go on a am gonna go on a world tour i'm gonna be sponsored by trojan and uh and <laughs> like you said an epi- like you said in episode one though it was like grand finals night with all the girls coming through can you imagine his <laughs> life now oh mate i didn't even know who the honey budger was i mean i know he's super famous but i knew him from the tradies ad obviously now i know him from fo- i don't follow football but mm. know him from football now and I, I think he's a wicked dude. He, he kind of sued that show, eh? Yeah, it was pretty classic. Learnt, like, I learned heaps of one-liners. <laughs> yeah, dude. So that's how I first... Well, I, I'd like watch the union and stuff, so I sort of th- knew him a little bit through the footy. But um, there's a there was a YouTube video going around. You've probably seen it now where he um, basically just... All the one-liners? All the one-liners, man. Yeah, yeah, there, I've seen it. How is the one where he goes... Um, Oh, I could have scared a dog out of a butcher shop. Oh, mate, that is all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had to, I had to get that in. I'm still bloody. I saw it coming last night because, like, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, he's just freaked out that this, that, uh, Brittany, is it Brittany? No, no Brooke what, left. No, what? No. So what was the last? Br- Brittany and um, Sophie. Yeah, there was. Yeah, so that yeah. Brittany chick, she's like 
he was just intimidated by the fact that she was the full package, I reckon. And he's like, look, maybe, like, I'm actually, yeah, he might have got strapped down with her. Yeah, he knew that he was like, look, she's just going to want to put one in the oven. And like, mm, yeah, he was just going in a bit too deep. So I think he wanted to see what life post celebrity. But I actually had um, one of my friends said, because he was up in Cairns not long ago. Yeah. While the show was still airing. So like, they've got to be super careful with what they do and say while the show is not filming because then once it's fi- finished they got to like edit it and shit they're not doing it on the run yeah but he was banging a bunch of chicks in cans apparently yeah so yeah. kind of word got back and i was like oh i don't know if he's going with anyone it's not gonna work out yeah, i actually so. ran into him at um lax airport um back in june i did a flight over to america i'd have some meetings with teams and we're at the virgin lounge and he waltzed in and you know this is just before i knew he was going to be on bachelor and i was mm. like that's the dude from tradies ad tradies ad right yeah but he, he kind of looked like didn't want to be bothered so i didn't didn't bother for a picture <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that shit cracks me up eh? i um i saw uh the lead singer of queens of the stone age on a flight to new york once and um he straight away like he was in first class and i was uh like the like the next priority Premium. like yep. yeah back when i actually had like good status and shit in the states <laughs> and i was flying to new york seeing him locked eyes and instantly he knew that i knew who he was and as soon as i his whole demeanor changed like i'm about to have a fan moment here and i just can't be fucked yeah so i just i just like on the way by i just like gave him a little wink and a fucking nod and he like looked back like really surprised like i read yeah. that he didn't want to be fucked with yeah yeah so because I was instant like, respect then he was like oh, big time oh i want to give this guy time now yeah so yeah. and because i was like the foot the next one boarding so the first class boarded i was that next one and then um i did that and like because if you stop and you're the first person in a whole line of people everyone's oh, gonna think oh who is he who is he? so like i would have fucked his whole it's day. funny you say that i was in argentina 2015 for the grand prix anyway someone thought i was like max nagle or something because he won the grand, grand prix mm. before and we're over there and they speak uh, they speak portuguese there i think anyway some person wanted to get a picture with me and this is on the street and everyone from that little town in barry locks just come to watch the grand really? prix it was tiny but then it was just going off because of the grand prix one person got a photo with me and then, then it was everybody. just dude I was, I was just getting photos for like half an hour <laughs> And, and these people didn't even know who I was. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, at that time, I was getting like 15th in the Grand Prix or whatever. And they, they just wanted to get a picture. They're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people, that's that's real thing. Like, people just yep. go like, oh, he must be famous. Like, I've got to get a photo. Yeah, not a clue who I was. Pretty funny. But so this guy, at um, Josh, uh, fuck, I can't remember his last name. But anyway, we get through the flight a bit. And um, he, he, actually, um, he actually got up and he came and he goes, hey, thanks for not making a scene and i was like nah man it's all good like i know you must get that shit all the time and i was like love your fucking music man like yeah you guys are rad and i think it was like right after i I just watched the this documentary that he was on and like i liked their music before but just seeing that doco it made me like frothing on him and i was like i just saw you in sound city and stuff like that so he stood there and had a yarn but like it was actually interesting to like that point of what you said about the badger like you see him and that people just they do this look of like oh fuck yeah i just don't want to go into the badger mode as opposed to like just being themselves yeah yeah so, so he did he actually just went and he just went and laid down in the corner because he didn't want anyone to see him 
And then actually my daughter was running around virgin and she like crawling over him and <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend had to go. But she she also did make a scene. He was just laying there. He was, he was fine. Didn't want to be bothered. So yeah. we didn't bother. Yeah, well, mate, it's uh, the bachelor's on the loose now. The, the, the cat's yep. out of the bag. But yep. it's going to be interesting. I think there's like some special on um, Sunday night with like all the chicks in it because that's pretty big for like... And I sort of thought too, like go with Soph, like pick Soph. She's a G up have some fun if it doesn't work like yeah see save, you later in a couple yeah, of weeks save face for like the media have the grand ending you know how I mean? was it he went to homecomings and uh one of the brothers asked hey like you you ready to settle down like no more partying you know like i don't want you to be partying for my sister that's kind of what he was you know putting out there yeah. and he's like oh man you got a bit of balance in life you know mm. had all the answers just, and, and yeah. just there you're like dude you're not settling down anytime soon nah. are you? <laughs> <laughs> have you do you follow jats on instagram um I don't think so, but I see a lot of his stuff. You need to follow Jats on Instagram. Oh, yeah? Like, fuck. He, so, he started a thing where, because he was living with us, he's just gone back to Cairns now, like, through the season, but he, um, he's living with us, and we'd watch The Batch, and then he started storying, like, and, and commenting, and, dude, his shit was just getting blown up with, like, people, I can't wait for next, so, like, people weren't even really watching the show. But then, but they wanted to but see they Jats's wanted to stuff. See Jats's, like it was like Aussie Man reviews yep. of of uh, of his fucking Instagram, and man, some of the shit like um, the first episode, his because he's calling like yeah these fucking bitches like he's blowing up, and his mum's like you know you ride for Honda and all this shit, and Jats is like oh fucking oh. and like started a bunch of shit, but then as you went on you just uh, my whole instagram feed is like people replying to jats's stories and they're posting stories and like that was almost more fun than watching the show itself yeah right he gets more followers out of it dude he would have for sure but like last night i'll try i'll have to follow him now mate he's i heard of he's a bit he's a bit of a character he's a fucking good follow you you probably haven't had too much to do with him eh nah a bit of a um you're a bit of a one man wolf pack <laughs> <laughs> i don't follow many people but uh oh, you gave me a follow i was fucking hard mate yeah there I was, you go i was saying like we were talking when we were at your place a couple of weeks ago doing that shoot that for all the years like i reckon i probably first met you in like 07 i reckon or 08 07 08 yeah so, probably somewhere around queen doing the queenslands or something because you oh, were still yeah, living up north have, yeah would have even been like when i was still racing i reckon when you were doing queenslands eh? what year did you you broke your collarbone you did a film of it i remember watching that oh when you, I, when you, I was you, you're the, riding somewhere in cairns yeah and i must have known you through todd or ford or someone like that yeah and yeah you, you've cardied and you're like on oh. a green stick and you're in there but i remember that yeah <laughs> dude that's <laughs> fucking funny yeah that would have been in like 06 i reckon holy yeah that was a while ago we had a set uh, it's still there we had a sand track and there was like a it was rough as fuck like it was just in uh behind a housing subdivision yeah and it was just all sand so they never built anything there it looked like a cane field well it's cane it everywhere out there it would have yeah. been an old cane field but yeah so it was just like real long grass so we just had this track through the grass and then as soon as it got too rough you'd just go around it and then the grass would go on the rough shit so this whole paddock's just fucking full of holes oh mate like it's proper rough <laughs> uh, mitch evans still does a bit of riding on it yeah right but um there was like the the straight where i crashed was like fourth gear and you just it was around like a big right hander and just sand whoops the whole time and i just got a big in swinger and like that crash 
was pretty much the that's end right. You had a helmet cam or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, dude. Yeah, because uh, I, me- I remember I watching remember it going, that. and you can kind of tell you getting an inswing and then boom, boom, yep. and then and then you just cardian. And I stayed on it, and it just did nothing. And I was like, oh, I'll just pull out. What do you have on? They wouldn't have had GoPro back then. Yeah, right? was it? A, a go- was it a GoPro? Yeah, it one of the big like, heavy ones. Yeah, would have been like an OG. No GoPro wonder you crashed, dude. <laughs> fuck, I I, rem- I forgot that I filmed that because I looked at a photo the other day of um me like with the whistle it's on my facebook i think i like recently shared it but um yeah i forgot that I was before that. you had the beard though for sure way, way before dude, i didn't have tattoos i didn't have anything then i was you got like, tattoos yeah you know oh yeah pretty keep pretty pretty well pretty well <laughs> covered up but I, I remember the photo because i saw it the other day and i was like fuck that was like before i actually had tattoos before i had anything i was only i would have only been 17 whippersnapper yeah but we we were saying that so that's a long time ago, but we'd never actually filmed together. Like I filmed you at nationals. Oh riding. yeah, that's where the story's going. That's yeah. <laughs> Welcome yep. to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> takes ten hours just to get to the main bit. Um, but yeah, we were saying like of all those years, man. Even like we we're at the KTM test track together at times. Like we've fucking spanned a long time, but we've never really actually filmed together. And then we did that fox shoot for two days. It was pretty sick. Yep, yep. Down in Kyogle Town. Yeah, but pretty crazy to go that long. Like, I've filmed with fucking everybody. Everyone. But the Ferris. That's what I mean, man. Just, I just I just hide down there in Kyogle and get my work done. No one knows what I do. You're the, honest to God, of all the dudes I've ever met, you are the closest guy to Dungey of, of anyone in terms of the way that you think about racing, you think about winning, you just do your own thing. Like, you're not interested in any of the fucking yeah dungeons like that eh? you and dungeon are like super fucking similar yeah dude. i got to know him a little bit uh obviously we we're teammates KTM, at kdm yeah. but yeah man everything everything was racing mm-hmm. obviously yeah, it's just like me really yep. um pretty intense guy around racing but like man he's he's got his feet on the ground like mm. really grounded yeah it, it was cool actually i my mechanic was his brother jade so jade was your mechanic okay. yeah yeah yep. so um when i went over there america and i was trying to sort out an apartment i was staying with jade and Dun- and dungy was there as well so i got to know him like pretty mm. good and he's, i didn't have a vehicle he'd give me a lift to the to the test track and stuff so yeah to this he's day, a good guy yeah to yep. this day dungy is one of the nicest people in motocross oh yeah and everyone knows that and gen- but genuine like there's definitely people especially guys that do the religion thing and are always you know kind of playing that card when it comes to like podiums and all that kind of stuff and not all of them are super genuine and when they say that kind of shit but dunge just lives that life he's as as humble and as nice as he comes across like there's no act there's no like dunge knocking off from being in front of cameras and then being like the real him like that honest to god that's just just him him. That, that is him yeah talking about religion and dunge actually when i was staying with jade you know like I'd grab, we would all grab dinner and we'd go, we'd, you know, we'd go out to the dinner table. That was saying grace. Yeah, that was saying grace. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember a couple of times I'd just, I'd start hooking into dinner and then all of a sudden they're like, they come to the table and they'd, you know, they'd never say anything. Like, and then they'll be sitting, I'll be like, oh, 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 sorry guys, sorry. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd say grace with him. Um, you know, I don't mind, you know, people want to be religious or follow whatever, that's fine. Um, and I didn't mind saying grace either, but it's just kind of strange, you know. It's we, different. We're just different. Yeah, yeah, we don't do it in Australia. Or, anyway, yeah. 
that, yeah. that that was that was kind of strange for me but yeah we we definitely don't come from that like it's just not that common in australia like to even with people that are super religious but yeah a lot of people over there it's just grace before dinners and yeah yeah like praying and like when you were racing they would have been doing like the service before riders briefing and stuff like that yeah they were i <laughs> always made sure i was kind of at the back and yeah so i didn't have to do that i mean it's their, it's their gig and it's an american lifestyle but yeah i kind of felt weirded out kind of being yeah. there doing that it's not really my thing it's their thing so mm. um no i agree like whenever i used to do the um like riders at outdoors especially like you'd kind of after practice you'd sort of you know go to the riders area and then like yeah the whole thing goes on and it's just yeah it's very different to yeah different yeah that's for sure um did you like the states is probably well i guess because you're going back like obviously there's some unfinished business there like it was a pretty shit year for you right yeah it didn't go that smooth um signed 250 for those of you who don't know um 250 supercross motocross um i did the first six rounds of supercross and didn't do that great i got the seventh um the biggest battle i was like sick the whole time i don't know what it was if it was a new country you know disease you're not really acclimated to or whatever what what, what did you get like no, what was the symptoms i don't know just kind of like, i was kind of just felt fluey symptoms yeah. like i had no energy so anyway um when i come back to sort out my visa because i was just just went there to do the first six rounds come back sort out my visa because it was all last last minute with kdm um got a 350 and i was doing a bit of practice in between starting to feel good and then um just a stocker and anyway i was just probably riding it a bit hard for a stocker and cardied broke my wrist like real bad uh, was it at home yeah just just riding at home oh i had a mate's place in Kyogle and um it was like a four month injury or something something like that and really? even when i got going it's pretty tender so i stayed here for a few months trained with guy andrews and then flew back to the states anyway how it went was like i was there you know training getting ready getting ready and it was already halfway through the outdoors at this time and i was like all right i'm good to go this weekend i went to roger and said hey man let, i'm i'm good to go they had the bike in the truck ready for me to come back from injury and he's like hey something just come up um ice one husqvarna in europe they need they need a rider and they're like um if you want to go back to europe we're cool with it like we'll sort it out we'll pay you um but you know kdm and husqvarna need a rider over there so whatever you want to do and at that point i was like uh kind of want to go back to grand prix it's not what i thought here um yeah so anyway I, in a day and a half packed up my apartment and i was back on a flight to europe and that was my american stint but it wasn't more that i'd didn't like it there um i was kind of just on my own yeah you know just in a little town a little apartment and it was just kind of miserable for me at the time you know to come back from injury and so anyway i never re- I, I didn't get to do the outdoors which is what i really went there what, for what you know do, you, yeah. you know like i, I thought I, I was only 23 i'll give it a good crack at supercross and if i get good at this yeah sure we'll, we'll go on with it um but it didn't go that good didn't get a chance to go outdoors went back to europe yeah so then um story goes story goes on from there it's a different deal supercross there right eh? like what surprised you because man I, the, I the tracks yeah. the tracks they don't look it on tv the whoops don't look big because they're going so fast across them but holy you, you walk some of them mm-hmm. on track walk you're and like especially at the ktm test track you're like these, these are you know this is a rhythm like this is singles this is not whoops mm. but man they're, they're like good at whoops and just everything like everything about supercross they're so good at mm. the, the level's so high there 
Mm. And, and, you, and, and they're you doing get, that nine months of the year motocross three months we're doing the opposite you know yeah yeah well, that's what when you sign that deal not being a hater i just was like dude dean's not ready for this year for supercross like it was you see guys like keisha come over and keisha's a fucking talented dude like he can ride the shit out of whatever you put in front of him and it's like what let him down wasn't his ability on a motorcycle whereas uh, and like when he come over, even he was struggling with the tracks and he was struggling with the whoops. Mm. And this is like the natural talent dude that can ride the wheels off anything. And I, I was definitely like, fuck, I don't know if Dean's going to be able to come straight over. And it's not just like the riding. It's everything about moving to America, being by yourself, like you said. And then there's so much expectation, so much pressure. Like, I would fucking hate to be the Dean Ferris that rocked up to that KTM track the first day, had to ride Supercross with Roger DeCosta, Ian Harrison, all these motherfuckers looking at you. Like, that would have been a heavy day, I reckon. Yeah, especially like Kenny was my teammate, Dungey, Moosegan, then then it was me. Yeah. <laughs> but they were all cool, actually. They were really trying to help me out. Um, mm. Well, well, not Moosegan. He um he did his knee in the preseason. He went home to France. So I didn't see any, any mm. of him, but like, Dungy and Roxon and Anderson because well. we were riding at the same tracks. Yeah, they were like really trying to help me. So, but it just kind of felt like I was pushing shit uphill with a toothpick. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> that's why when this deal came up to Europe, I'm like, yep, okay, like I'm gonna go back there and try. And it it kind of felt like that was my backup plan, and I don't know, just just to make sure I, you know, get some base about me again because it just felt like yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. So back to europe and then that actually all went to shit as well i did a few grand prix ha- had a few good results but then um went to brazil and just tuck, washed the front broke my leg my femur of all places in brazil in sucks. this like in the middle of brazil this drug town that's another story man like let's go into it all right let's go so anyway we got like because toby told his dakar hospital story with his femur. Yeah, I've seen I, him in like a coloured hospital. Like, it, yeah, it, was, it, was it was crazy. bad, eh? Yeah, man. So anyway, broke my femur. It's like, oh, no. no. Like, I'm laying there on the track going, no one knows how to speak English here because literally this town's in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Anyway, just as well, the doctor that got to me could speak English. So he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, broken femur. He goes, is there anything else? And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay, just that. So anyway, when he got help, got me off the track, he, he just, he's like, He's like, just trust me. And he put his foot on my butt and he pulled my leg into traction. And I was screaming. He goes, no, 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 trust me. Anyway, once I calmed down, I was like, oh, it doesn't hurt. So anyway, long story short, strapped me onto a you know a little bed, got me an ambo, had to wait for the race to finish because we're on the infield. Oh, fuck. But that was all right. I was, I was, like, I was calm, wasn't hurt. Did and, you have any painkillers? No. Nah. I wasn't in that much pain, actually. I don't know. It was crazy. Because I had my leg in traction, it was, I don't know, kind of straight. As soon, isn't it crazy when you break a bone? Like, as soon as they put you in a cast, the pain basically goes away. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking weird, eh? Yeah. But it was hot that day. I was, I was still sweating beads just from the shock of it. Mm. And then um, the Ambo driver thought it'd be fun because they could just to pin it through town. It was like half an hour into the hospital and the roads there are shit. Mm. Mate, hitting potholes and like the nurse in the back's like trying to hold me down. And What? I, what Why? D- I don't know. Because we're like dude i'm don't rush i'm not hurting and these ambo i don't know just crazy mexicans man yeah anyway team manager annie perona and he come with me because i had no one there it was just me him and a mechanic yeah and we get to the hospital doors open the ambulance everyone jumps out auntie's like i'll be back i'm laying there for like half an hour dude on the street 
On the street? Yeah, like in the ambulance, but like on the street. Doors open, like this place is pretty dangerous. He comes back. I'm like, dude, what's going on? He goes, man, we've got to pay for you to get out of the ambulance. Cash. They're like, there's no policies here. There's no insurances. They don't, they don't know what insurance is. I'm like, what? So anyway, he had to go rustle some cash from an ATM just to get me out of the ambo, right? They get me out of the ambo. They push me in the first room in the hospital, right? It's that dirty. You wouldn't let your dog sleep there. Really? Yeah. And there's like a nurse coming by every half an hour, like tipping a bucket of blood in, in the sink next to me. And there's like cobwebs and holy dude. shit. So I was in this room for six hours, sitting there with my my mechanic had made his way there by then and auntie, and that that was it. And they're like, oh yeah, we need half the you know half the cash deposit for for the operation. Well, like, dude, we we can't get that much cash out. I can't remember how much it would have been, like maybe ten thousand euro or something. Far out, dude. Yeah, my like. Mate, we've got insurance. Trust us. So we had to wait until, you know, Australian time, until people woke up here, called the insurance company and said, hey, I'm in, I'm in a bit of strife. You need to tell the hospital you're going to take care of this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Put them on the phone. I think there was like translators involved. And they're, and they're like, we will cover it. Just just fix him. Because at, at this point, we'd looked at all the options. Even trying to fly back to Europe wasn't possible. So we're like, we have to get surgery here and 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 actually the doctor that helped me on the track he was really good at english and he come in to see me to check i was all right real good guy and um he's like trust me the surgeon here is really good he fixed both my knees i'm brand new you know you need to get it done here we can't we can't move you so anyway midnight that night or a bit later or something i was in there for like six hours in the shit room with no painkillers no painkillers i had auntie pulling my leg because i had a weight you know off the end of the bed to hold it in traction but it wasn't really heavy enough so i had auntie like pulling my leg and he's freaking out because he can just feel it all moving oh my god yep yep so um and when he would i'll be like oh that feels so much better and he's like i can't believe i'm doing this like don't tell anyone don't ever tell anyone i'm doing this really yeah yeah <laughs> so anyway um they get me into the ward it's like four oh, not 40 maybe 35 degrees there's no air con no wi-fi no tv couldn't reach the phone and I was stuck in Brazil, oh. and I was laying there going, "This is this is no good, eh? This is pretty fucked." <laughs> yep. So anyway, I just lay there until the morning, until the surgeon comes in, said, "All right, I'll fix you." Anyway, did a good job, fixed my femur, um, and I, I I told the the team, "I'm like, dude, go home because there's nothing you can do now. Just just go." Anyway, that doctor that helped me on the track. He come see me at my hotel every day. I was really? going, uh, yeah, I'll stay there. I got so out. So you just got out of the hospital, and went into a hotel. Until no, you sorry, fly? I stayed there for a few days. So broke it on Sunday, and I stayed there till Wednesday, and then discharged. And I stayed there for a week just so I wasn't flying with. Yeah. If there was any complications, had a motel. Anyway, that that the doctor that helped me come see me every day. That's ha- awesome. Hung out, had a had a beer or whatever it was down at the lobby, and then he's like, "Hey man, Brazilian barbecue, you have to come." He's like, "I'll come pick you up tomorrow." Anyway, come pick me up, drove me through town, and he's telling me how dangerous this, this drug town is because he's a paramedic. Um, oh, that's yeah. his job. Yeah. He pulls up at a butcher, right, and he just parks like pretty much on the footpath, and he leaves me if his revolver loaded. Fuck. And says, if anyone comes, just shoot them. <laughs> yeah. What? It's that dangerous. He, he carries a revolver with him to work because he's like, there's always like murders and stuff. Whoa. And he's always in like a bad situation. It's normally a drug deal gone wrong or something like that. So he just left it with me and said that and just 
went in the butchers to get some meat for the barbecue. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there in the passenger seat just looking down at this revolver like, all right, well, I hope I don't have to shoot anyone because he's like, don't ask questions, man. Anyway, come back, no problem. We went to his house, right? And he probably got a pr- pretty good job for a guy in a town like this, but it just seemed like he lived in the ghetto, but that's just how it is there. Yeah, right. Anyway, he padlocks this gate for his garage and he's got razor wire mm. around his whole house, electric fence, everything. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, full on, eh? It's full on, man. Anyway, long story short, he invited his, his family and his neighbours over and we had this wicked Brazilian barbecue. Like, it was unreal. Meats were cool. Yeah. And Did um, they make you have, like, chicken hearts and stuff? Nah, nothing crazy like that. Uh, just the way they cook it, like, slow cook it. And yeah. Just the flavours were cool. And, um, yeah, like, the neighbours come over and um, the neighbours had a... A couple of young young chicks that were about, oh, a bit younger than me, but they were really beautiful Brazilian girls. So we we're hanging out, and that, I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. There's a, you know, an upside to being <laughs> being here. And he's like, hey man, you're not going back to that motel. You stay with us. Yep. And he had a maid and everything. So he's like, yeah, yeah, just stay here. And next day he went and got my stuff from the motel for me, and just hung out there for a week. That's pretty sick. Eh? Yeah, had this maid like making me coffee, and the neighbors were like, come pick me up, drive me around town, show me the sights. So That's like it turned into like this little holiday. That's cool. Yep. So um, real bad story that turned good, and I'm still mates with that. You know, I was gonna say like Facebook still... friends with all of them. Yeah. We hang out. Oh, don't hang out, but we chat every now and again. So if you're um, ever gonna do the GPS again, it'd be pretty cool to like catch up. with Oh them, man, I I'd love to catch up with them, but I never want to go back to that town. Hopefully the Grand Prix doesn't. What was the track any good? Um, yeah, track was alright, but yeah. just. Man, yeah, it's just sketchy. Eh? Shouldn't have gone there, and you know, like I was, a, I was actually an example to, you know, yeah, why you shouldn't, why we yeah. shouldn't go to these towns because, like, FIM didn't help, no nothing. They just that's fucked up. Eh? I was just left there on my own. It, luckily, I had that team manager, mm. you know, to fork out some cash just to get me out of the ambo. But uh, and luckily, I had insurance because there's insurance companies like, yeah, no problem, paid it. So that's pretty wild. Dude. So that's a wild story it's my Brazilian experience I feel like that might beat Toby's Dakar story dude the tipping blood into a sink next year has got to be pretty fucking full on oh man it, oh dude you're just laying there oh no like this is no good especially because you're about to do an operation where they're going to put you under and it's like you just if you died you just not like you know you're dead <laughs> you know what I mean that, that's a fucking huge leap of faith yeah anyway like, glad, count g- back from 10 yeah Dean's out never yep. fucking but the, sur- the surgeon done a good job so I was kind well, of Toby's leg looked pretty good too considering that he got that um, yeah he got that surgery done in like wherever the fuck it was it's actually the highest hospital in the world where Toby got his oh, femur in done. altitude yeah yep. yeah it was the like highest one that there is yeah probably not that many doctors signing up for a uh job at a hospital in the himalayas where, where did he where did he break his leg oh i don't know somewhere like um because it's south america too the dakar's yeah, run Chile down there or it Chile was or yeah. bolivia or something i think yeah. you know what i think it was bolivia man actually yeah but yeah your story yeah because is- they they ride over the andes all the time yep. back and forth into chile yeah 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 in and out yeah so fuck that shit sketchy that's what tobe says like the most sketchy thing about that race is that it's just oh what's up little one hey we got another hey, guest we got another guest on the podcast we'll give an appearance. yeah get <laughs> get in there you can have a little chat say hey it's my little daughter sitting here with me now <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's gonna gonna uh give us some words Does, is she talking much yet uh no nah, mo- most things dad yeah <laughs> yes 
and just I don't know. She communicates so well. Otherwise, With, yeah, really. That and she's not talking yet. She's only like a year and two months old. So yeah, and he knows a couple words. Did it? Did it? Uh, like change you? You reckon when you had your first kid? Um, some because a lot of people say like because I mean I'm getting to the age where I'm starting to think like oh I want to have kids and stuff like that. So I'm like I'm getting more like legitimately curious you know where you kind of ask people like oh what's it like you know and you kind of don't give a fuck but now i'm like i don't know i don't don't know if it changed me but i think it keeps you grounded for sure like i don't know you always got to think about barb and Mm. make sure she's getting fed at the right times you know we're on a bit of a road trip at the moment but we're always you know got a little checklist what you got to do like make sure a nappy's good and it's like oh hang on we we better do this first and that first you know it's not like being a gypsy you can't really <laughs> just jump in your van in, in one minute and be gone you know yeah. so you, you just got to be you just really got to plan yeah, plan exactly. everything you know and she comes to the races with me and renee yep. um every weekend and it's been no problem so we just got to be super organized and when we go somewhere leave ahead of time in case you know she soils a nappy or something yeah, yeah. like that so but we, we are super organized so it hasn't yeah. been a problem yeah, I feel like you're just a pretty organized dude in general. So it's probably, I feel like it's probably going to be more of a shock for me because I'm fucking insanely unorganized. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully Ricky will do a better job than me at being organized. Yeah, you have no choice though. You just get kind of thrown in the deep end and if you're not, you will be, mm. you know, from from day dot because you've got no choice. So Yeah, no, that makes sense. But it, it's awesome. Like, I, and I love her, having her at the race. Like, for instance, at Coolum, if you, you know, a couple of months ago, won the championship and the celebrations and right at the end of the day it was like my favorite part of the day is that i even put it in front of just racing i got to put her on my bike and just ride around the pits yeah right you know because well most days mike comes riding with me yeah. on the 110 or on my bike or if we're practicing because she it loves it eh? like loves when we it. were there when when we were there you rode off renee was still at the house and she got left at the house as well and she was off it like i wasn't at the track off yet it, yeah and so, she was losing her shit so, so at Coolum, she's seen all these bikes all day and she's wondering hey why why, why can't, can't i, I ride, ride today yeah. like why can't i be on with daddy so at the end of the day i was like well you're not going to get in trouble you just won the championship so i can do whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever i want and um you know take for a little ride around the pits and she's just so happy that we can get to do that so that was that's really cool and special for me too it's cool that that hey. is like almost better than just winning the race too you know yeah and and we get to do it every day it's so much fun yeah i love it and then you got another one on the way yep so um renee's 37 weeks now so how long is that in pregnancy years she, only another three weeks is full term oh well due in three yeah, weeks okay. she's full term now so i mean as of now it can come anytime safely oh that would be a gypsy tales first <laughs> having it here yeah yeah have we it thought here. it was gonna happen a couple nights ago there was i don't know something crazy happened she's like oh i've got some weird pains and i was trying to sleep and i don't know i was super tired renee's kind of up in the shower and uh, i don't know i was like it might be on like we, we might be just having the kid now that'd be pretty <laughs> that'd be pretty loose hey eh? how far is it to the hospital from where you guys go oh uh, we plan to have it up here at the gold coast so it's a couple hours i bet it she can play with pretty much everything except hard drives but when maya come right so <laughs> she was due her due date was oh darling oh that's my fault no i think she just whacked her head on the table <laughs> um yeah her due date was at echo valley nationals last year and that's the day i wrapped up the title oh really yep and then um the next day renee's waters broke yeah right so we had the baby, well, we had Maya that week, and then we went 
well, it was Thursday before it happened, and then um, stayed at the motel. And Friday drove straight to Coolum with a one day old. So we're at the track the next day oh. for the last round of the nationals. That's pretty sick. Yep. And then we stayed up there for a bit because we just love hanging out at Coolum, you know. Yeah. Spent a few days there after nationals, wind down a bit. So it was Wednesday before we got home. It was a week. It was almost a week before we got home with our newborn. Oh, that's crazy. So she's just been on the road with us ever since. Just yeah. comes everywhere. And a lot of people like, um, and that's what my mum always said to me, like that they never did, they never changed their life at all because of having a kid. So you see, I feel like I even have friends where they don't really take their kids anywhere and then they're kind of yeah. always stuck at home. That was some good advice I got before we um before we had baby. Like they, they come into your life. So, yeah. you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And we do. We yeah. try, you know try our best to take her everywhere yeah yeah and, and it's like yeah because i'm man we've got photos like well i even remember when my sister was born she was like five or six months old and we did a four-week trip to the tip of australia so she just sat in a baby seat at six months old for like yeah it was like a month man two weeks up two weeks back and like there's um i remember we were crossing the jardine river and the the ferry broke so you got to drive through the like through the river we got yep. this old land cruiser with a snorkel we had to put everything on the roof and then dad drove it through and dad's holding my little sister holy up in like here she's six months old and he's like driving across the jardine river like fucking crocs everywhere and oh, shit for like six month old and, and damn i remember mum always just saying like we just never changed not, anything. yeah we never not took kids anywhere and then like never had problems at restaurants and all all that kind of shit because we were just always on the go with them actually we were going to do a road trip to harvey bay oh sorry um cans last december oh yeah or november is one of the two and yeah. um yeah it was just it we got up to harvey bay and we were staying there with family and then we got going and we got to bunnenberg and we're like holy it's hot and she was in a little capsule so she's just burning up oh yeah so we're like Nah, let's just hang at Harvey Bay. It's pretty nice here. Yeah. <laughs> Save us doing 2,000 Ks. Her in the capsule, she she wasn't liking it anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes a difference if they're not, not into it. <laughs> Man, it's cool you said about, about Coolum. I feel like our generation, because we're pretty similar age, our generation has like a – we've all got a pretty special connection with Coolum, I reckon, because of like the Junior Nationals being there for so many years and then that was all – well, I guess it still is the last stop of – the nationals, nationals. Every- so I feel like our age group really does have a thing with Coolum. Yeah, actually, funny you say that. That was my first junior nationals that I'd done. Oh, was it Coolum? Sorry, I'm just putting my daughter down. That's all right. Yeah, so my, my first junior nationals was 2005 at Coolum. Yep. Yep, I was I just turned 15. I rode, I rode so you didn't do a national before that? Nah, nah. My, <laughs> we'll go into that, but I didn't do much at all as juniors. Yeah. So I was 15, first junior nationals. And it's, it's funny you bring it up. Actually, just a few months ago, I was like, I wonder how I went at that event. Because I can't really remember. I remember qualifying fourth. Like, I was I was pretty good, even though I didn't I wasn't on the national scene or doing... I didn't do yeah. um, Queensland's or nothing. And I qualified fourth on the 125, and I finished 16th. Really? Yeah, outright. At your first nationals? Yeah, yeah, 16th. I think I finished eighth overall on the 250F. See, there's another dungy comparison. Like, Dungy didn't do shit. Yep. And it's like, there, there's something to be said for the guy that gets beat a lot as a kid. Because yeah. you look at, like, so let's talk, a, uh, like, look at the dudes that were the stars. You got Cade, you got, um, uh, even Jesse Dobson was one of those star kids. Uh, Keisha was one of those star kids. 
Ty Simmons was one of those star yep. kids. And it's like you, Gibbsy, Todd, like the guys that were kind of like never really quite got the same shine as those dudes really seem to have gone on to do the bigger stuff in the sport overall, right? Yeah, I remember, um, well, Todd won a few junior nationals. He, he was a bit of a star, I think. Um, in o- I think the thing with Todd, though, is because we live so far away that he didn't really get... He didn't have it easy. No, but he didn't get much, like, attention for it. So yep. I reckon it made him feel like he wasn't. Even though he was on Motor X and he was, like, one of those guys, I remember him growing up he always had like a little bit of a chip on his shoulder like he didn't quite get the respect that he deserved yep. even though he was sort of winning yeah so that's why i kind of put him in that in like, a category. Same category and like man we had like killers that came from cans but it seemed like no one really ever kind of paid that much attention and especially that was in like it's crazy to think about the way that social media changes that like you look at the kids now it doesn't really matter where you are. You can have like a you presence. Get noticed, yep. Yeah. But back then, like it was always Ty and Kate and Keisha in the magazines as like yep. the ones that, because they were who was accessible. Yeah. I don't think it was like um, a negative thing. Like people didn't want to give them any shine, but it's just like logistics, man. It's fucking so far away. <laughs> we just didn't get any Yeah, to fly from credit. Sydney to Cairns, I guess. That's it's like a big three flight. Hours. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But anyway, Todd, he gave me a whooping in juniors because... After that, um, 06, it was my first year that I did a sunny, I did sunny states. Yep. I did. I remember you at sunny states in yep, 06. I did my first Queenslands in 06. It was my last year of juniors. Was that, was one of those rounds in Mariba that year? It was. Yeah. So yep. that's, that's the last year I did Queenslands. I remember that. Yeah. And Todd beat me in everything. Really? Year, everything. I might've beat him in a moto or two if I got lucky or if he went down the first corner, but yeah, he whooped my ass. Well, especially at Mariba, like he done so many laps of that track. Yep, he he was good there. Where um, was that? Was it Townsville as well? Nah, it was Mackay, the yeah, one the, the yeah. track down on the river. Yeah, the Mariba and then Coolum. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, and they're all back to back, just one week after another. Yeah, yep. And uh, actually, I won the last moto at Coolum. I remember that. Yeah, right. yeah. Todd Todd kept crashing or something, and that actually cost. I remember it cost him the number one plate because in juniors it goes yeah. off. You know, total points that go uh, across the whole board as juniors. I think Jats. Jats got the number one plate. Jats got the number one plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. might have been on a 60 or... He would have been on a, either a KDM 60 or a KDM 85. Yeah, anyway, I remember he was way younger than us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had... We so, had apart cool... from that, Todd had a perfect season through the Queenslands to the last moto. Really? Yep. Fuck, that's so funny. And there, someone else, I think, like, Daniel Chester had a number one plate one year. Someone had, like, from up there, but he wasn't, like, that good. But I think he just won... Every, he just class, got lucky yeah. to like win yeah okay. and he, he had a number one plate up there but yeah dude mariba that was like one of my favorite tracks like when that track was good that track was sick. yeah we went back there in 2010 and it was it was awesome yeah we did the queenslands oh that's a lot last year did the queenslands but again me and todd were going at it yeah we we're both on hondas going at it there i remember that yeah no it was, it was such a cool scene and then yeah cool coolum had the um the nationals for the like the junior aussies feels like every kind of other year for a little yeah, while yeah it, it, it was it was like every second year there for yeah. a while oh that's where it's going <laughs> yeah it's so cool I mean, it is a special place for us for sure sorry <laughs> that's my daughter again she's, she's trying to get in here and be a part of it she just wants to be a part yeah, of whatever we're doing hang. that's all good so yeah no nah, cool cool and um yeah we go there every year yeah for the, sure the, the, the last round and the juniors and um just uh what else do we do there 
the supercross now yeah that's true are you going to that tomorrow you nah nah i won't go out there <laughs> so are you you've got to be bummed that you did get hurt like obviously to, well, this was going to be the last stint with cdr before you go to the states but you were riding fucking good like and i think last year in supercross you kind of because you always had a tag is like oh i'm not real good at supercross and then probably after the stage you probably had a little bit more of a mental block with supercross but it seems like last year and then this year obviously we're doing that film and people will see when the video comes out like you're fucking ripping man yeah and uh you know my my results in the state i'll bring it up now because people kind of like no i don't but if you compare me with like mosey or keisha which you know can ride supercross here um i got better results in the states like i was qualifying quite easy and did all right but yeah i don't know it must have been from my early years in supercross i just get no results so yeah. everyone just put that tag on me i can't ride supercross and then it's funny how that works eh? yeah yeah so because todd kind of had that too yeah we both had it and you know we're, we're not the best supercross riders we just didn't really have anything growing up like mm. no no junior series was not you know just that era but um so when i got back um and i won the motocross in 16 it was kind of i felt like there was no pressure for me because Reardon was a supercross guy and you know, yeah right like you know the table had kind of turned so i went in with no pressure but i thought you know i'll have a go and my bike was good and i was like yeah, went all right the first round i surprised myself got second and then ended up winning a round down in uh, avalon so yeah it's kind of, i'm kind of glad that i <laughs> i have gone good and people have stopped saying that you know because yeah. um even though i'm i am I'm definitely my, motocross is my forte um can ride the supercross now anyway yeah, and then obviously before you crashed, you were right there yeah, winning so, like practice or you were doing well on the same second as Brayton in um, Jim Boomba and then obviously crashed. Yeah, I season. had a really good prep actually. I, I chose not to go to Nations this year for that reason because... Yeah, that's going to be pissing Oh, off man, now. for the last two years, um, I've tried to do both and I'm riding like six days a week, motocross, supercross, motocross, supercross. Bikes are way different. Everything It's just a lot of effort. And then last year, I didn't go that good at Nations. I just kind of got a bit lost with my setup i was in between anyway long story short i i thought i'll just do supercross next year um i was you know i put in big effort and i'm like i'll try to win it yeah <laughs> i'll just try to win supercross and, and and then i've done that you know what i mean um preparation was good testing went good um and then it's just heat race at jim boomba something went wrong oh, i don't know what really happened got a bit confused with yellow flag or something um so got an injury and it's kind of spelt the end of my supercross so now i'm like well nations is this weekend this weekend days. yeah in two days and it's kind of i'm kind of bummed i'm not there mm. you know but i had to make a choice and i knew it was the right one to do is just choose one or the other so now that i'm going to the states next year i'll i'll definitely put my hand up for nations again yeah what do you think um how do you think mitch is gonna go were you surprised by how good mitch went at the start of the year or like in the outdoors nah he nah. was the next best i dude. wasn't surprised Really? Because a lot of people underestimated that kid, man. Yeah, a lot of people have, and I don't know if it was because he was in MX2 or whatever, but he come riding for me last year at my track, and I was surprised how good he was. Yeah. I was like, holy, like, this kid's got some skill, and he's going fast and not even, it seemed like he didn't try. Yeah. And he even come and done a week with me earlier this year, and he was good. So, like, no surprise to me that he went that, you know, he went well this year. Everyone was writing him off. Like, really? big time, yeah. And even at the start um well it was funny so me and dad went up to watch the toowoomba race that you did at yep, the start mountain men mountain men yep. yeah we went up to watch that and um 
and he surprised the fuck out of me there because even dad was like yeah he's just not fit enough and this and that and he wasn't fit enough but at that mountain man I think there was one moto where he gave you like he's had a pretty good battle yeah we there was a funny format we had like three tens back to back back to back and in the middle one he he got the whole shot and was give me curry for sure i yeah. had to work my ass off to get around him and his bike was like super soft yeah like the setup like I, i'm not very good with bikes and and that but i'm looking at that thing going like damn those clickers are all the way in and it's still way too soft yeah like, yeah he knew that as well because he come down the week after that and he's like oh man my fork's too soft yeah right. and i know i know he went testing and he was pretty happy with his bike this year i'm sure yeah well those things are just good but i remember you know you come you got like that kind of that you got the right hand berm then you've got that tabletop that you can kind of scrub it's near the end of the lap and then you go sort of down into like i think it's like an s section or whatever yeah but um he just like everyone's scrubbing it and his fork you could see his forks were so soft he couldn't actually even scrub that jump yeah because he would have been if he hit that lip any harder it would have just blown through so like everyone's just like yeah, yeah dropping it and then he's just straight air in this thing and i'm like fuck um, imagine when he gets that bike better and his fitness because i mean you'd know jumping on a 450 is just a totally different level of fitness than an mx2 bike yeah and it takes some time you know you can't expect to especially when you're young eh? yeah i know he's young and working it out he's still working it out I, i've seen it he's been at my place um just working out his program like i already know what i gotta do yeah. but um yeah there's no guesswork in your mind to what you have no, to do and, and that's just 30. being being a fair bit older and you know having some good guidance from guy and stuff like that and i know he trains different now than he did last year when he come down yeah so you know he'll work it out for sure but um just trying to work out what works best for him i think that's what he's doing at the moment is he the favorite for next year you reckon uh i think Probably we, maybe a bit young don't know it'll He's going to be good for sure. He was runner up and he was he was challenging. Um, but between him and I think Gibbsy. So Gibbsy is Gibbsy on CDR next year? I'm not sure, but I I suspect so. Yeah. Okay. But um and because that'll be cool for Met, him. To you know, Meddy's good. Yeah. He, he kind of sorted his stuff out towards the end of the season, but as long as he doesn't have any of those crazy DNFs that yeah. it, it's something something weird every time. You know what I mean? Because you know you're going to be competing with CDR and you know they're going to have a good rider and they know that their bikes are, their bikes are rock yeah. solid. So There's something that maybe you can talk about it because I think for me, like I don't have a lot to do with Dakar, don't really have a lot to do with the team. Like they're one of the groups that I'm not really close to anyone on that group of people, right? But I have no problems in saying they're the best team in Australia. Like I don't think anyone could make an argument. And if you're on a fucking 450 in Australia you should want to ride for Dakar. That's what my impression yep. of that team is. And you see people that go to Dakar and their shit just goes up a level because, like, you know, you get to your house, you've got fucking, like, Fox hooks it up with gear. You've got no worries with gear. Your practice bikes are as good as your race bike. Like, it just doesn't seem like... It seems like Dakar's the only guy that ticks all the fucking boxes to where you don't have to worry about anything else but riding and i think jdr used to be like that in australia and there were some other teams that were closer to that but i think now the gap between like the best team in australia like dakar and the second best team is like it's unfortunately a pretty big gap it probably is i don't know what um what all the other teams do but dakar does everything he does everything everything leaves no stone unturned and you know he's got one thing on his mind 
and that's to win. He doesn't give a fuck about nah, anything else. Nah. There's, like, that's his number one agenda. You know, with a lot of teams, and I've ridden for different teams around the world, there's always something else or sponsors or yep. they're just doing this for a living or not Craig. He just wants to win. Yep. And, and I knew that when I when I come back. I'm like, I have to be on that team. I knew that. And, he, you know, he's proved me right mm. for sure because nothing else matters. And that's why we get along so good because nothing else matters to me either. Yeah. That's it. We both just want to win and we both, you know, just hit it off with our relationship. And like, you know, just looking from the outside, it is what it is, mate. It, yeah. He does everything. And you've seen it there. You've come to my place. You've seen how good my practice bikes yep. are. It look, it's, you know, it's identical to my race bike. Yeah. And they just, he just runs a tight ship. Yep. All, you know, all the mechanics, the whole crew, um, you'll see us like, we're just like glue, right, on race day. All of us, we're working together and just, if there's a problem, we'll work it out and there's just no outside influences yep. and he just runs tight ship he, that's just how he wants it to be and that's how i like it yeah so it's pretty hard to compete with him for sure yeah i think that like i think gibsy's probably he's had a few hard years and i think that him going there could be what he needs to get him back because it looks like to me mentally he's not the same in the same place as a guy that's like really fucking ready to win you know and yeah like maybe that could be what because i mean he's got i mean if if he goes there he's uh he's in good hands that's for sure mm. yeah but it, it did look like gibbsy he i don't know he crashed a bit this year and maybe not really good guidance i'm not sure um but that, that's unusual for kirk yeah like he's super consistent never crashes or anything but yeah. he had a few big ones this year like right in front of me Really? Like, yeah, off the off the first corner at Raymond Terrace. Do you see that in NRD TV? Mate. I don't watch not TV. He was like TV. fourth gear tapped and he, <laughs> he he hit some braking bumps with his um start button still down on mate. He was like oh. upside down next to me. I was like, holy. At Raymond Terrace. At Raymond Terrace. And then... um, Dude, I got hit by Daryl Hurley at Raymond Terrace. Oh, mate, that would hurt. Fuck. He's a big dude. Yeah, I don't... I. It was like I, maybe the first national I ever filmed. And it, I think he was number one. He gave me the number plate it's in the shed i think he was number he's either one or five but it was like a mutter and he just went went for the whole shot and i was like off the track by like a lot like you know the tree line you got like yep. the track and the tree line I was and the kinda, tree line used to be like right right close. yeah, yeah. yeah right it was pretty there. close but i was like back in the tree line like yep. oh, i'm sweet and he just fucking power slid through that first turn and he was just just trying to save this thing and fucking clean me up dude i did the full front flip landed on my feet just saved like I had my camera on a tripod like literally nothing bad happened out of it it was like getting hit by a, a bull and I landed like a rodeo clown on my feet holy smoke is that where the double was out of the first corner or I think it, used it, was, to it used to be different no that's I think that's when it was like that double there because that the, would have been in the 07 oh yeah okay no oh yeah it would have been there yeah but 07 was dry because that was the year that chad reed come over and, oh, and was it the year after o- that was the mutter nah 06 okay 06 so, yeah. was a mutter yeah okay so yeah. it was that one because I, I went there and raced the junior rookies oh. um as a 15 year old against todd and i think quinlan won it actually harley quinlan yeah yeah he won it that day but yeah that was a mutter that morning i remember yeah so yep. it was whatever that one was i think that was like the first national i ever like filmed yep and just got fucking cleaned out and then hurley came up to me after the race and he was like hey dude is, i got you my number play he's like i feel real bad and i was like no well, fuck i was standing there <laughs> but done like yeah that was but yeah i'm still on the outside of the first 
corner so close again. No, nah, well, you didn't have a choice there. Like, that, that was, was a it, really yeah. shit first that turn was, of the film. Yeah. Like, you didn't really have anywhere to go because if you moved over to the right, oh, man. all the trees and shit Everything used to be horrible out, about that first, straight into a big double. Yeah. Like, I remember as a junior coming down there, I was like, that's a stretch mm. for a junior. Yeah. And we're, we're just, just harming down there. And we're like, all right, I hope no, no one jumps across on me or something. Dude, they do... Well, I haven't, like, I mean, I have not paid attention to the Nationals, like, pretty vocal about how shit I think they are. But Raymond Terrace used to do a good job with the track. Like, they were probably one of the better ones, I reckon. Yeah, in terms of I prevalent. liked it. I liked it because it was always gnarly. It got yeah, rough it as It got fuck. rough as, and I was looking forward to it this year because I, I was like, this place is a man's track. And, yeah. And it just, it didn't get rough like it used to. Like, I liked the layout. It was sick. It was real fast and flowing, but... I don't know why it just didn't... They didn't prep it as deep or... Well, they tried. Like, even the track prep guy, he come up and spoke to me. He's like, wasn't happy with it, you know, how it was on Saturday this year. And he... Re- anyway, um, I thought the track was sick. It just didn't get as rough as it normally is. And maybe because it it's fast and flowing now. Because back then, it used to be a lot of switchbacks. Yeah, and so that it'd get rougher because you get rougher because you're just harder on brakes, harder on the gas. Yeah. So that's probably what it was, but... yeah. Yeah, it used to be gnarly, that track. Yeah, man. Uh, that year that Chad and Dan had their little uh, melee, that track was sick. Yep. Like, they prepped that to perfection, and it got so rough. Yep. Oh, oh, 07, did I say? Yeah, it was 07. 07, yeah. What, what tracks are that? Because I always kind of harp on about, like, I did that Instagram ask me a question thing the other day, and I had, like, five or six people ask me why no one goes to the Nationals anymore. And, like, it's a hot topic that people ask me about and because I maybe because I've been pretty vocal about how I think they're shit. But I always say, like, why would we pay to watch people do the same jumps that a 60 can do? And they don't really change it. Like, if you go to, say, Raymond Terrace or Coolum, and if you go there and you're used to going there and there's fast dudes at every track, right? There's someone at these main tracks that we go to there's dudes that ride the nationals at a pretty high level that race there all the time. So it's like, you kind of can see racing there at a high level, just on club days Mm -hmm. and shit. And then if it's like, all you're doing is bringing just a few extra fast guys to the same shit you already see. I know what you mean, but like the nationals, they need to go to a club that's got some money and all the clubs that have money is, you know, catering for everyone. Mm. They can do the little tabletops and the, and the, and the clubmans that can ride around there and do the same track as the national uh, or, or the pro riders. Where in America it seems like their national tracks are open for that one race yep. in the year sometimes. So they just they got some big jumps, big senders like Unadilla and well all of them really. Yeah, uh, except Glen Helen, but Glen Helen actually put in a big effort and just make the track for the, yeah, the national for the guys. National. Where, but even on day to day, they got big jumps and shit. You know, like... Yeah, but, that that's true. But I think that... What's to say? Like, how much does it really cost to lip up a couple things, bring in some dirt, or... Like, you... Fuck, you don't have it, to look, bring in dirt. It would be, it would be better. Um, and but, I just But think, there must be a reason the clubs can't do it, maybe, or don't do it. I don't know, but... I think it's a... There would be a combination of the... Like... But for a national, like... There should be no rules about doubles or jump lengths. Like, what you shouldn't do at nationals. Like, I don't like the Coolum first turn. I think we've seen so much carnage there over the years that I don't know how... 
Well, they've changed it now, haven't they? It just goes into more of a tight U-turn or... Nah, it's it back to goes, pretty open. See, I don't like that. Yeah. I think that especially when you're not able to use your rear brake, I think that it's a bad idea. Like if you've oh, got a right hand first turn, yep. if you've got a fast sweeping left hand first turn, I'm a little bit more cool with it because you don't want to be coming in. You're on the front brakes. You've mm. got your right foot out, which means you've got no rear brake. And then any bumps you're hitting, it's all front brake. And I don't, I think that's, it's sketchy. It's already sketchy enough with all you dudes going into that turn as it is, let alone super fast and no rear brake. So I think that that straight away should be like a, a semi red flag for starts, right? But like, wh- why why can we not get someone to come in? Like all tracks have to do earthworks. Like you've got to know people, yep. but it's like build some big jumps. Even like, even not like a 150 foot. Um, Look, I agree. I don't think there is any rules to doubles and stuff in the nationals. N- because, there couldn't be. Nah, there's not. Like I know at Horsham, they've got a, they put in a big double for nationals and for sure that'd be too big for the rules for you know standard for, for standard racing. I don't even know why there is rules around that. Like to me, that's retarded because you look at and you know what different governing bodies like New South Wales have way stricter rules than Queensland, for instance. Yeah, really. Yeah, so if you go to a New South Wales track, the the jump's going to be smaller and the trees have to be further away and yeah. and everything rather than the Queensland track. So just what you're going to get, and and you know what the the clubs. I think it's up to clubs to do, I, you know, I'm not sure, but I think so, Yeah. to do the track. And, for instance, at Gladstone this year, they they prepped it right. Like, they, it, you know, it's a pretty small track, only small jumps, um, prepped it really good, like, got some big ruts. But I spoke to the, the track maintenance guy, and they're like, all they have there is just a bobcat. So, yeah, they so can't. Hard, yeah. He said, oh, this is all we got, prepped the whole track. I was like, holy, like. It's not enough, bro. So what they've got is what that's it. That's all they've got. Yeah. So it's just little tabletops, kind of a junior track. Yeah. And Um, and and they couldn't change it. But that's the thing is like, if you're Kevin Williams and your job is to like, he's a promoter. So like there's two hats that you got to wear when you run an event. One is a promoter and one is an event management role. And they're supposed to do both, right? You look at the AusX Open. They don't, like, Adam Bailey and the AME team, they're not running the event itself in terms of, like, making sure the riders are on the start line, doing transponders. Like, they're not doing any of that shit. What are they doing? They're promoting. And they're creating this video content. And they make, they're bringing in, like, the Ronnie Max and the Ricky Carmichael's. Like, there's, a, there's two hats that have to get worn. And I just don't think that you can just split a person to cover off on all of those things and like you'd attest to like a kevin williams event is run on time you know what i mean everything that they do the schedule's done like when do you have confusion about where you're supposed to be on a national or or whatever yeah it's it's run pretty good i i totally agree with that but then but in terms of a promoter hat then what your job is is to like bring bums on seats get people there and then there's a follow-on effect of that there's more people that come which means more money through the gate that's more attractive to sponsors then the teams can then go and say oh we're on this tv and we get forty thousand people come to each event blah 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 they can sell more sponsorship if teams have more sponsorship they can either put on more riders they can um, pay their riders more. They can have better equipment. Yeah, like there's this follow-on effect. I mean, I, we could probably go on go on about this for days, but look, 
I'm not a promoter. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm just riding a bike, so I just focus on what I'm doing. I mean, on the race day, everything's run. It, it runs pretty it smooth. Runs perfectly. For sure. I know a lot of people have got speculation over how the promotion should be done. Um, and personally, Kev- Kevin's been pretty good to me. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I like to be good to him as well. But at the end of the day, I don't know how to promote an event. Mm. So maybe later after my racing career I might, I might be able to do something but hopefully you win so much that you don't really have to do fuck all yeah hopefully <laughs> but it, it is like it is a hot topic and I, like i would love to i would love to have something that i can like get behind and like that's my bread and butter man that's where i came that's where i come from that's where you come mm-hmm. from and it's a shame to like just not follow it yeah i mean everyone around everyone that rides in australia should be following it so 100%. If, you, if you don't follow it then Hey, you find a coffee. My she's, daughter, my she's daughter jacked is just, she jacked up on coffee. Just found a coffee cup. Okay. Uh, that, there's no coffee in it. You need to get me coffee. But that's that's my like thing. Yeah. I wish I could follow it more, but it's just you know. And you wanna you wanna talk about it, and you wanna be excited about it, and that's what's cool with the I think with the Ozx and stuff, and like the Supercross series, like kind of feels like we do have something to be sort of excited about again. You know. Yeah, Ozx is huge every year for sure. Um, and and Bailey, yeah, obviously he's branching out, going to New Zealand, and I'm sure he's got other stuff in the pipeline. So, um, you know, if there's improvements, it'd be positive for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it there. And like, yeah, I don't want to be negative, but it's good when you get someone like yourself to come on and can talk about, you know, the tracks or or different things, and you know, have like your own sort of ideas to how shit can be better. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, like that's what, like, it's an economy, and it's like you know guys like you you want to see like jats might not have a ride next year two-time supercross champion yeah it's crazy Just might not have a fucking ride bro it seems like sport's not in a good spot at the moment mm. um a lot of good riders without without, without rides, rides dude and a lot of teams haven't aren't running anymore and it's not what we want to see that's for sure you yeah. know we want to see more teams coming in and more rides and and people getting paid and more sponsorship um but and and you look like let's talk about like that 07 08 you had cool air independently wealthy dude come into the sport jdr independently wealthy dude come into the sport manufacturers are supporting it that was like the almost like the golden era of yeah it was taken it was taken off then for sure and a lot of teams are getting outsourced like honda got outsourced to uh to your eve um just come with a whole lot of money to run run something and yeah it seemed seemed like it was it was taken off but at the moment, um, even more teams shutting down next year. It's yeah. not really cool, but um, it's a tough know, one. And then it, riders it like tough. yourself, like you're about to. I guess like you're not leaving Australia though with like a I can't make any money here attitude. Like I've got to go somewhere else. Like you could stay here again, but in your case, you've won three championships in a row. So it's like you want to then go and have a crack at that. Yeah, totally stage, different you know? reason. Yeah, like so. I, I, I come back and had every intention to go back overseas, and that's what's happening now. So, yeah, um, I've had a good time here, and it, it you know, good time with CDR, good time at nationals. We've done a lot of winning, but for me, it's just time to go. Yeah. Um, for instance, I know Todd went back overseas probably for different reasons. Um, you know, for the same reason that he wants to chase the world level for sure. But, um, like I got, I got everything here. I could just stay yeah, here and exactly. be comfortable, but yeah. I'm not comfortable to do that. I've got to, I got to keep pushing myself. Yeah. And um, going way back on this conversation, you know, I've got an unfinished business at in USA. Yeah, so for sure. That's why I choose. You that, know, I chose USA to go to. That high point race, man, was that was fucking sick. 
like you really did Australia proud by going and doing that race and like even the way you did it too man like that it was so bare bones to to do what you did and then the result was just like crazy good like I I was I was like a huge Dean Ferris fan for that day I was fucking glued to the TV and just so stoked to see what you'd done and honestly too like Aussie riders have got a bit of a shit name in the States now. Like we, there was Chad and then there was a couple guys that went over and then it seemed like everyone that went over there either like kind of got carried away partying and, and come home or yeah. just went and crashed and nah, didn't have good was, results. It was, it was a cool day for sure. Um, I, I packed up um, my gear bags. So I brought two mechanics with me. Um, cause to, it, to the States? To the States. My mechanic... And the chief mechanic at CDR. Is that Brad? Brad. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad Maiden. Um, they flew with gear bags with all my parts for my bike. Um, I met them there in LA. We flew over to Washington, DC and then drove to the race. And we just built the bike just on a Wednesday afternoon outside some diner. You know, the the, the cycle trader brought me brought us a brand new standard YZ four fifty. We built it. Did press day on Thursday. Um Oh, that's met. pretty cool that they let you ride Presto. Yeah, yeah, they knew I was coming, so they let me ride, which is cool, just to run the bike in. Um, and then, yeah, boom, just went and raced on Saturday. But, and killed man, it. I was, I must say, before we go on with the story, I was so jet-lagged. Man, I was up at 2 in the morning, and that oh. was it. I was like, I, I slept like four hours every night. I was cooked, man. And then uh, practice went good. It rained, and it was pretty ruddy. I, I was like third in both practices, actually, no one knows this but second practice so it went on overall times there that's how it worked i went pole (laughs) really i did like i did my fast lap got pole and pulled in and said my my you know to aiden let's go back so it looked like i just looked like a boss i went pole pulled in (laughs) went back to the pits and and in that time while others were still doing laps um i got knocked down to third i think it was like tomac and I don't know, Anderson or someone. They, they went faster pretty, than me. They're pretty quick. Yeah, though. but they they would have all been thinking, this guy's like overconfident, man. He's just riding back to the pits already. But it wasn't. I mean, I was, it was already tired. that hot uh, in the morning and I was tired. I'm like, I need it. I know I'm going to be tired, so I need to save energy because it's a hot day and yeah. I'm not acclimated. Like, I'm from Australia and it's winter. Like, winter. Moment, yeah. And over there is like middle of summer, humid as hell. So like we went back, get organized. I got hydrated because, um, yeah, I just needed the energy. But anyway, mm. Moto One went good, got a good start, ended up in the lead, as you all know. Um, come home in second, met man, I was cooked at the end of the first moto. It was so hot. Mm. I was like, holy moly, I'm delirious. Really? It was yeah, that just bad. just the last two laps, I was like, oh man, I'm just so hot. Heart rate super high. I know jet lag plays a part as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was super stoked. And then in Moto Two, I you know went down second corner and. I think I uh, went down again trying to puff Sipes on the way back through. Kind of, Dude, it's underrated how good he is. He is eh? pretty good, yep. So I got up and I was going fast, but then that happened. That was only like 10 minutes in. I was smoked. Just I, hit the wall. I was like, I'm so tired. And I, I knew it was a big risk for Craig to let me go there to the States. So I was like, I'm just, just riding at home. I'm, yeah, yeah, but okay. the heart rate wouldn't even come down for the rest of the motor. I was just so cooked. Really? So, yeah. So I, even as you backed it down? Yeah, man, I was just... I was just done, mate. It was just like, I was a zombie mode after that. I was like, I'm just so tired. Yeah. But anyway, I got, I got that result in Moto 1 and that's kind of what mattered. I was like, I was stoked with that and I knew I could ride at that level yeah. for sure. Um, a little bit of acclimation and no jet lag and 
and a couple of little things, you know, living over there and training over there, I, I could probably write, you know, I could write at that level yeah, yeah. the whole year. So um, since then, definitely had my, my eyes on the state. That was my little shoe in. Yeah. Um, I thought I might have pulled a ride for 17, but well, no, no, for 18. Who for are this you talking year. to? Um, I didn't, I wasn't talking to any factory teams when I was there. Um, just, I don't know if it's too late or everyone kind of had two year deals. It was kind of nothing about Yeah, you can kind of get those awkward years <laughs> where like everyone's that, sewn up. That was one of those years. Yeah, so this year is one of those years where everything's going to be new. Yep. Yep. So I didn't, I didn't get the deal I wanted. I signed with Craig to race here for another year. So that, that's how it went. Yeah. Are you, um, are you going to try, so you're going to the States next year to do outdoors only, right? Yep. So when are you going to leave? Um, look, probably still, still trying to get a deal. Um, but I think it'll be in January because whoever I ride for is going to want me there testing and riding and it's pretty hard to just send equipment to Australia and say, here you go. So I'll get organized, make sure I'm over there early in the year for sure. Mm. Are you, so you're talking to teams now, like, cause when we were doing the filming, I didn't know if you we're just going to go regardless and just hope to nah look I've got an agent on the ground over there um, who is your agent over there a guy called uh, Lucas Myrtle I was going to say yeah he's an older guy yeah, yeah. yeah so um, shout out to Myrtle he's a funny motherfucker <laughs> I haven't actually met him in person yet oh, I spoke really? to him on the phone a few times Dude, Yeah, he's a fucking good guy yeah. he is a fucking cool guy yeah yeah I've heard that he takes care of the Lawrence boys and a few others anyway yeah. so nah he's a he's a super good dude yeah, yeah. so um, I'm sure he got something, something going yeah, cool. Nah, that, I'm excited for you, man. And even like if you, I could see if you just went there and just went riding at the outdoor track, someone's getting hurt in Supercross. Someone's going to miss some rounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, as bad as it is, it seems every year like. I mean, dude, it's there's, inevitable. There's teams just, they need riders because Supercross is 18 rounds or 17 rounds just eats a lot of guys up for sure. It's fucking brutal. Yeah. I wish they'd. Speaking of like series and changes, man, like if they shortened it up a little bit, you just wouldn't see dudes retire. Cause like, look at Villo now. Like I was talking to one of my mates in the States the other day and they're like, dude, Villo is ripping and he's having a lot of fun. Like he'll probably race Monster Cup. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen some videos. He's going good, but yeah, he was burning out. Now a lot dude, of them that's just- that's exactly right. Done. Same it's thing. too much, man. Just eats them up. It is so much. 17 rounds of that and then- you know, 12 rounds of nationals and then, then now Monster Cup. Monster Cup. Holy hell. What a program they they do. Like, hats off to them. But it's too much. Like, it's costing people. Like, because I get it from Feld's point of view of, like, they want to sell tickets. They want to make money on stadiums. If they, if they can sell out 18 stadiums or do well at 18 stadiums, then that's what you should do. But it's like, fuck, do you want to lose the Villapotos and the Dungies and the Stewarts and the... Like, do you want to lose those guys early? Like, would you rather do like 15 races or 14 races and get like an extra couple years out of dudes that are the stars of the the show because like as good as ando is and like i fucking love that dude and he's like a good friend of mine but he's not carrying the sport in the way that james and ricky and villapoto you know what i mean you need dudes to like carry the sport and like who else is going to be doing good in the supercross this year like osborne's gonna be in there yeah. um hill's gonna be on a 450 yeah, you might have but, a point but, but man, like, man none of those dudes are money talks the sport. Eh? <laughs> i know but it's it's just it seems short-sighted and it's like i wish people would again it's just being a fan and like knowing on the inside how over it these dudes are it's just a shame like even kevin Wyndham, 
you know, like you go to like a 14 round season and he does supercross only and it's like a few more weekends spaced out. So like guys are getting weekends off. Like, yeah, the guys over there that are riding till they're older, yeah, they end up doing a supercross only deal for sure. Yeah. Um, and and look, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be that pumped on doing 17 rounds of supercross and then the nationals either. One for trying to get through that many supercrosses without Not getting hurt, hurt. That you know, that that's you'd be doing good. And then I'd be you'd be like, oh man, I'm so I'm so toast. Yeah. And I want to, I want to focus on outdoors. So that's the reason I'm just doing outdoors. And hopefully I can do some preseason races. You know, before it to get me ready. Um, get me up to speed like those guys all racing the supercross so mm. that's my plan pre-season races what pre-season races could you do over there mm. the, the I don't Glen think Helen there's any nah, like, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if there's much there it's kind of amateur level um, I know a Grand Prix goes South America I don't know you might have to chase some around the world probably yeah so you should do, try and do something like that mm, yeah maybe well I'll, I'll look into my options when I get a deal get a deal done um, yeah I was, like, I was even thinking if I could pull off a deal with Yamaha that I might stay here yeah. and just do the sunny states and do a couple of nationals here and then go. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and then I've got more time at home preparing on a bike, I know. But anyway, there's just, all these things you think of, yeah. it, but we'll see what happens. And when the phone rings, you just got to yep. be ready to Yeah, got to be ready. Be ready. Yep. It's going to be sick. Like, I'm excited for you to be over there. I feel like you're our f- uh, first legit threat of race wins outdoors in a, in the US in a really long time. Oh, and I think some Aussies, they want someone to follow. Like, oh, 100%. O- honestly, since I did that race, every second fan that come and got a poster from me at the Nationals at the Supercross, they've all said, dude, unreal ride. I got up at 3 a.m. and watched you. Yeah. Man, there's literally been hundreds of Aussies say that. So, I mean, if I was there racing a series, I'd like I'd like to think they're all getting up at three AM to watch. That'd be Dude, pretty cool. I'll, I'll be doing that shit for sure. And and that's like that's part of I guess my big point when it comes to like the nationals. And I wish that's I wish people would not like just listen to me, but like listen to everyone because it's not the way that it is done now. And this is all Australian racing. Like this isn't just a knock on the nationals or anything like that. But like you go to the tracks over there, and there's like they're prepping dudes to be good for that level of racing like you can't replicate that level of racing here just in like tracks the roughness like the way that they let it get beat up and it's like i think that's the big thing that hurts guys going over is that they're not we're just not ready for that level that intensity the the track style like there's so much to intimidate you and take your head out of your performance if that makes sense yeah i kind of agree um maybe the tracks are a bit smaller you get there they're massive and, and things like that um for that reason, actually, I I built my practice motocross track big. Yeah, I got big jumps. It's really flowing, big turns, fast. Just so when I get overseas, that I'm yep. I'm ready for it. But that's like it's a shame that it's just your practice track that is like that. Yeah, because like, that the thing I guess my my big point right is that when we what puts bums on seats and what sells motorcycles in Australia is Australians doing well in the US. Like that's what everyone wants to watch. That like we need representatives of motocross in the US and in Europe that are doing really big yeah, things. Yeah, we are heavily because, influenced by by US. Well, look at what happened when like like Chad Reed was the f- like 
the millions and millions of dollars that Chad Reed would have generated in the Australian motorcycling economy. Yeah. Like you were a product of Chad Reed. I was a product of Chad Reed. Everyone on the start line at the Nationals right now lived through the Chad Reed era, right? Everyone, I wanted to be fucking Chad Reed. You wanted to be Chad Reed. Think about the gear that dude sold, the bikes that dude sold, the fucking kids that watched Chad Reed on on ESPN doing Supercross, racing Ricky Carmichael, and said to their dad, I want to go racing. Like, how many kids right now in the national start line do you think would have had that influence? Yeah, it's true. There was a big influence from Chad. Um, more so than anyone that went to Europe, I think. Everyone, everyone just follows USA. Dude, you know, hundred percent. I'm not that. I'm like, I shouldn't say I'm not that into Supercross, but I am. But man, who doesn't watch AMA Supercross on a Sunday morning? Yeah, that's right. Everybody. We talk about it all week. Like, dude, Supercross on. We'll let's go watch. Everyone's watching it. Yeah. And you know, ever well, not everyone, but most punters are drinking a beer. They just love it. Sitting their TV. Yeah. Sitting their couch. Drink a beer. Watch Supercross, yeah. We love the drama of it. We love yep. the personalities. And I just think that the the problem with, uh, like, that needs to, for the motorcycling economy in Australia to stay healthy, I think that there has to be, like, a legitimate investment from people in within the community in Australia to, like, grooming people. Like, dude, the next guy that's going to be the next Chad Reed for the kids on 50s would be Hunter Lawrence. Multi-year Geico deal. Imagine if you're winning motos in the US next year and Hunter Lawrence is winning lights motors in the US next year. Yeah. Boosh. Like mind <laughs> fucking blown, man. Like kids all over the country are going to be glued to that. And that's what, then you get that same, it's that same Chad Reed effect, but instead of Chad Reed, it's Dean Ferris and it's Hunter Lawrence. Like, man, I've been watching, like I've been watching the EMX series this year because of jet. Yeah, like I crushing love it that too, shit. Like, crushing it. Fucking love that shit, man. Yep. Like that fires me up so much. So it's like that to me. It's like we we have to think about that as like a uh, like an investment. Like we need to groom these guys. We yep. have to get people to America because American TV is what is going to sell motorcycles yep. and it's going to sell gears and it's, it gear we shouldn't take any. We shouldn't take anything away from those boys though. Like they got there themselves. Their family. Oh, dude. What a risk the Lawrence's yep. took, bro. Holy. What a risk. Yep. But they're grooming themselves, so. But doing Aussies proud, man. And yep. let's just talk about Jet for a minute. He's 15. The kid's a freak. Man, didn't I just say I did my first junior nationals and Queensland title at 15? Holy. That's what, that's what it He's takes, over man. there winning EMX against men, like with beards bigger than yours. <laughs> and, shout out to the beards bigger <laughs> than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good on him, man. And, uh,. And like, dude, I've not been more like, I think Shift did that clip with uh, Hunter at the start of the year. Did you see that video? No, I, think, you, I, I think I did. Fuck, that surprised me because you don't look at much. No. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I was like fired up when I saw that clip. I was like, fuck yes, bring this season on. I haven't really cared about it that much since you and Todd were there. So it's like, I, that's my a whole big point is like we need to bottle that energy like the energy that we get from seeing like you like you just did one race and got one third place and like you said second hun- second, oh, second. <laughs> hundreds of people came up to you at the national like yep. so here hundreds of people come up of all the achievements that you've got in your career like that was the thing that everyone was frothing on yeah and it's like to me that's why I think we have to get super serious about you know really making a push and like you said man that's a really good point like the lawrence's 
they packed up and they went there and they took a huge risk and it's paid off but they invested in themselves and they obviously knew that if they wanted to make it happen they couldn't just stay in the system here yeah and uh yeah they seen that early so good on them but um actually i was speaking to someone at ma um a few months ago about about this very topic and and how we're going to make the juniors better because it's kind it's way different to when me and todd were doing it as juniors to now i feel like everyone's got a base station and got all the gear got all the gear but no idea yeah kind of saying yeah and i'd I'd like to make it some people aware that you didn't have that you don't need that man you know you just get good equipment and try hard yeah. Like, there's a bit more to it, obviously, but you don't need the big shiny ball for everything. It's not going to make you go faster. Like, go on there in a base station, like, fair enough if you've got a family, you've got the money, but, mate, it's not going to make you. Yeah. For sure. Like, well, the thing is, the base station's not on the track. The dad's not on the track. All the good shit isn't yep. on the track. The fancy train is not on the track. You know, and it's good to have all that, but you just don't want the kid to be, you know, perceive it wrong like they've got all the gear so they should go good and i think that's what happens you know i don't know if it's the error or whatever but it, it just seems like those you know the kids have got everything don't really have the heart yeah and i i, I you know i feel like they've got an advantage and if they're aware of that we could we could definitely help them and groom them and hopefully that's something i can do like in my older years that's yeah. what i want to do like help some kids make it somehow well, you're the guy that, like, we had this talk at Kyogre because I've been training, like, super hard, and I was like, man, I'm fucked all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm just not really there on other shit in my Welcome life Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> and and Thailand was the big eye-opener for me. I went there, and it was four hours a day, two-hour session in the morning, two-hour session in the afternoon, and basically, I was sleeping right up until I had to get breakfast. Then I was getting breakfast, and I was doing my first session. I was drinking like four liters of water and electrolytes in a two-hour session because of how hot it was. Yeah, getting cr- I was getting cramps in my whole body if I didn't drink enough electrolytes. Then we'd walk back, have lunch, have a sleep and a swim, and then walk back to the gym again to train. Walk back, dinner, bed, cycle repeats, and I was fucked, dude. Like, that's what I've done for the last eleven years, dude. And you're the guy, like. It gave me a new respect because when you were when we were there, you were just like, I was like, oh, do you do this? And you're like, dude, I'm too tired. And then you're like, I was like, do you do this? My, man, I'm too tired. Like, I don't do anything because of how hard you work. And I mean, even living with Jats, I'm like, dude, you've got a lot more room in your gas tank. Like, you're not you're, you're not on that Dean Ferris. Uh, you're not on that Dean Ferris program because you're so tired from training you literally don't want to cook you don't want to do anything you're fucking checked out yeah man at the end of the day i'm fried just all the time and it's it's, you know i wake up brand new but man i put everything i've got into my training sessions and luckily i've got a good girlfriend that does does a lot of stuff for me but this is what i want the kids to know you know like how hard you can go and actually on that subject i you know i've always trained hard um didn't always know much at all um gained a bit more knowledge as i was going but it wasn't until i actually met guy andrews that i realized how hard you can train yeah you know because you're tired and you're fried and you've got nothing left but he'll make you keep going you know and that's how we made it to a new level actually talking about that i've been you know i've lived with guy 
a couple of times just doing some you know some you know some training camps or whatever like when i come back in europe i was kind of like a homeless bum i just had a backpack <laughs> before i set up here in australia but went and lived with him sometimes like six weeks at a time couple of months and holy man that was that was something else and at the time he didn't have really any commitments but we'd get up 4 30 coffee cycle no no eating we'd be out cycling like this is every day and how far would you go like let's break down the legit days of a dean ferris training camp well let's talk about a guy andrew's training camp because dude we would get up have coffee go cycling minimum like 90 minutes but often over two hours up spring brook whatever breakfast i'd come home and just be in bed and then we'd get up gym so you'd have a sleep. Or go running. You'd have a sleep Dude, after breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> just that fried sometimes with some some things would do. And just a couple sessions, two or three a day, stretching, strength, running, cycling, swimming. Oh, I actually didn't do that much swimming, but a little bit. Um, mate, and I remember just for the first like month of, of, of living with Guy, I would just have to sleep through the day really yeah i just walk in and just pass out my bed like see you later dude i'll i'll be back out <laughs> pass out get up do it again and then the next day do it again do it again do it again do it again there's non-stop yeah and then how so when you're training for the nationals like what's a day look like for you for motocross um most of the time do a couple of motos but i would get get up you know if i was riding that day coffee breakfast and then i would always have my bike ready from the day before and then i'd head straight out the track a couple of motos but like to the stopper mm. i i would because that's so what I'd, you, I'd do a 30 minute warm-up right yeah and i'd kind of treat like a national so i'd do sprint laps and, and and like it was qualifying at nationals yeah okay and i'd keep the workload pretty high i'd go back just an apple or something back out do another moto 35 minutes go back little, like little lap something times at every lap right yeah so renee's been there with me for the last few years just on the pit board every single lap and that's all i do is just chase my lap times and most of the time so i've been in a pretty good flow last years i would do a whole moto within a second the whole 35 minutes and i wouldn't vary one whole second and and even with the track getting rougher and yeah so you just watched it and whatever yep. the fuck happened you were getting that yeah and time. my track doesn't change that much it you know it's like if it was wet or something yeah but man it's rough and i just leave it rough mm. that's just how it is like like we said i want it to be like an ama yeah. kind of track um and then gear up do it again and then home and pretty much just pass out yeah so you're like the effort, every the effort thing. i've put in for two motos is just everything i've got for that morning yeah and then you know a little bit of training in the afternoon you know a little bit lighter if i've done two big motos yeah work on the bike everything else you need to do around the home and then next day is like either moto, well, motos again or more often than not the, ne- the next day i back up some cycling and gym yeah and get up on a cycling day i'd get up and cycle before breakfast fuck just sending yep. it yeah yeah just and, sending it and and that's like it it shows though right because like it's would you say that you're like a dude that's super naturally talented um 
Because I remember, like, especially, like, you said the first national you did, you got 16th as a, for a junior Aussie. Yeah, like, I was all right. I just feel like I couldn't tap into my talent until I got a little bit of coaching or a bit of help um, when I turned 16. And then it kind of all just come out at once. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I've got some talent. Um, but at the same time, I've, you're not I, the, no, but, I, work, I work for everything I've got. Like, if mm. you ask me how to do something, I'll tell you. It's, yeah. like, it's not like I've got no idea. Yeah. Um, everything I do is for a reason. Like, if you ask me about one little position of my body on the bike, I'll, I'll know why I'm doing it. Yeah. But you look at, like, let's look at a dude like Dylan Long. Like, that's talent yeah. in terms of what he can do on a motorcycle. The shit that he can go, uh, the shit that he can do, the speed that he can go at times, like, you know, everyone follows that dude's Instagram because it's just a fucking send fest. Like, shit that not many people on the national circuit can do. And, you know, like, you're not in that same category of what you'd say would be, like, raw talent. So, but it's like, but you're the dude that's winning these motos by, like, you know, over 30 seconds. So it has to be the fact that you can go that speed, like you said, that same second. Like, I don't know how many guys are able to do yeah, like, what you the, can the do. The talent will get you as far as Dylan Long, I'm sure. Um, but, dude, you got to work hard if you want to win some motos, for sure. Um, and then to win them every single weekend. Yep. It just yep. takes a whole different level of... And, and like, what, what about even just, like, focus... Because it's like the focus to not get distracted for that whole season, not let the pressure get to you, not let the competition get to you. Like there's just so much more that goes into it than just being good on a bike. Yeah, this question comes up a bit like what motivates me and I don't actually know. No idea. I've always wanted to do good and I've always had this level of commitment even since I was 16. Because I mean literally one day I just, I got asked a question, how bad do you want it? Like do you really want to do this? This is when I was fluffing around when I was um, just in my last last few <clears throat> races of juniors. And um, I was kind of scared of the question at the time. Like, you know, didn't think, didn't really know if I could make it. Anyway, I stewed on it one night. I was laying there going, man, how bad do I want this? Do I want it? Do I want to do this? Like, lost sleep over it. Got really? up, Yep. Got up in the morning and went, this is what I'm going to do. And oh. I, I told everyone, this is what I'm going to do. Told my family, this is the plan. I'm going to make racing my job and I'm going to do everything I can. So since that day I was 16, I've done everything I possibly could to be the best I could be. That's a crazy level of commitment and at a like super young age. Yep. So from that morning, I got out a notepad, wrote down some goals, made a little plan. And like, I didn't know how to get fit, but I knew if I went jogging, I was going to get fitter. So I just did everything, everything possible. And then I've, you know, just getting guidance along the way has helped me. That, that's what's got me a bit of coaching, some mentorship. Um, you know, met another, you know, got to another level when I met Guy, you know, with my fitness. And you just meet people along the way. Like, um, like and, adds to your toolbox kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right. You know, you just need to add some tools. So, um, what keeps me focused? I don't know. It's just what I want to do. Like, I want to win on the weekend, you know, and actually, there's no other option to you know in my eyes so i just do all the work i gotta do that's it when you i don't i don't fully know the story but you lost your dad when you were young eh? yeah when i was 11 so how like what was the deal there because i sort of i in my mind knowing the limited bit of the story that i do know 
that's got to have a massive impact on your level of maturity because like to be 16 and make that call and then I'm sure going through that whole process made you grow up super quick like what what was the story there yeah we, I actually started racing in 2001 um and my dad was still around we did that first season together at the end of the year we had an accident um and then from there on that's probably why I didn't do much racing as a junior like there was a lot of tough years there where it was just you know I've got two other siblings and it's just my mum so we we had, had the farm right? we had the farm we had a sawmill we had a lot going on we had to downscale to a smaller farm just so we could manage um i was pretty capable as a young fella so i had a lot of responsibility had to really um help mum on the farm so when we did downscale um it freed up our time a little bit more mum's like we'll be able to do more um of what you guys want because my my sister's into horses me and liam are into bikes so we did that and um it took us just a little while to get the ball rolling you know and and mum had to do everything like take take my sister to pony club and me and leon racing so there was a lot of moving parts for sure and um that that's why it took a while to get going in juniors that's why i just wasn't on the scene until like i was 16 so in a way yeah probably probably made me mature you know grow up a bit more like for instance i was making sales for my own bikes and changing tires and doing all my bike maintenance when i was 12 like the whole lot that was it even even like helping out my brother because you know when he left school and got a job the deal was we both have to be good and both have to be organized if we're going to go to the races so on a thursday night i was prepping my bike prepping his bike packing the trailer because he was off at work and tafe Mm. so then friday night like when i got off the school bus he finished work we'd be on the road to go to the sunny states so like so you really had to want it there was no one that was no. Nah, I've I've never it. been pushed a day in my life, not once. No, nah. like honestly, Mum was like she probably she, would have rather you not do prob- it for a while. Probably didn't want me there because it was dangerous sport. But she knew at the same time it'll keep me off the street, um, and it's what I wanted to do. It's all I ever wanted to do. So when I was like 13, 14, 15, I was serious about it, and I wanted to go racing. That's all I wanted to do. Like I did, I wasn't even hanging out at the races um, with anyone. I was just oh you know a couple mates from mclean or whatever but wasn't there to socialize or party or nothing like i was so serious about racing um and always went all right but i just wasn't on a national scale you know like mag like for instance i wasn't accessible but i wasn't that great um so i always took it serious and then when i was kind of fluffing around with the idea like of making it as a pro and but because of my situation i was like oh i don't you know it'd be hard like those guys have got this and you kind of like doubt yourself and then then when i got asked that question i just what yep like i said i woke up and that was it from that day i just i just put everything everything on the table yeah that's when i'm going for it that's so cool and, and i remember like because i remember like the kids used to like to laugh at you a lot of times because you were so different to them like you weren't trying to be cool you weren't going to skate park you weren't fucking around with girls you weren't you know busting out of places at night to go carry on and everyone looked at you like this real square kind of kid at i remember todd saying to me um because you know we're all just kind of young and people be you'd be just hanging shit on people and i remember todd saying to me like man like i'll never give dean shit in my life because i know like what he went through to like 
run the farm and stuff like that. And it always stuck with me. I was like, fuck, like, I just always thought you were like this real square kid that just, mm. you just didn't have any, like, you were just a boring person. But then when Todd said that, it put it into perspective, like, fuck, man, like, you 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 want to be there. Like, yeah, like, no, there's no... At the races when the kids, scene. when they were hanging out, I was working on my bike and prepping the bike while others' dads were kind of doing it all. Mm. And I just, I don't know, I wasn't in the scene. I never was. I was from Kyogle. I had a couple mates from, you know, like I said, McLean Club, North Coast that I knew. Um, and we used to camp together, but that that was it. Like, I was just... I, you know, I didn't want to be chasing chasing girls around and this and that because then mum would be like, oh, you're not taking it serious, you know, why do I take you? Yeah. So it was always, it, it was really serious for me and that carried on all the way through, well, probably through my career but I took it even more serious when, you know, I was 16, 17, 18 because um, I was trying to make it but I didn't really, you know, I hadn't established myself. Yeah. And I didn't really care what anyone thought at the time because I remember in my first year of racing, right, I had, like, this mismatched gear. Like, I had a cotton jersey still. <laughs> Rocked up in my first Southeast Queensland um, race and I didn't have the backgrounds. I didn't have yellow backgrounds on my 80 uh, with the number because yeah, yeah. we didn't know. I just had, like, those bought yeah, little number. MCS numbers or yeah, whatever. Yeah, MCS numbers on my bike and no background. And then just there's old gear with holes in it. And I remember... It, I remember being at Warwick Sunny State, right? 01. I was on an 80. I was 10. And all these kids next to me with like all the gear, right? I just look at me going, Phew. Look at this dickhead. Look at this knob, right? <laughs> and I was in C grade. And man, that day I just won by so far. Yeah. And after that, I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Because I was so intimidated by all these kids with all this, you know, yeah. fancy numbers and pipes and gold wheels. And I was looking, looking beside me going, I don't belong here. But where else do I go? I'm in C grade. Yeah. So I, I did did a couple races in C grade that year, and then Dad's like, "Let's let's go, let's just go straight to A." Yeah. So from that day, I, I didn't care about how I looked because yeah. that's what I had, and I was pumped that I was going racing. That's fucking cool. You know, we we had no, you know, none of the fancy shit, but man, I was racing. That was it. That was cool. And, and actually, that eighty, that very wise at eighty that I'm talking about, I found that two years ago. Because, you know, like I said, I made the sale of that bike mm. um, a couple of years after my dad had passed away. And I remember who I sold it to. And then through Facebook, I found it. And it was only like 50K down the road. Just, really? Yeah, to collect collecting dust in a barn. And when he said, yeah, I've got a Myers at 80 down the barn, I went with a pocket full of cash and bought it on the spot. That's sick. Yeah, and I've restored it. It's at home now, like restored. Really? Like, yeah, brand new, like better than it ever was. That's fucking cool, man. Yeah, so that, that bike's really special for me. It was my first race bike. Was your dad super into racing? Like, was um, he into it when, when you guys yeah, were Yeah, he, he was into it, but he wasn't your typical mini bike dad. Like, that was our first year of racing. He didn't know anything, right? Yeah, so right. So, we'd make friends and he'd ask, like, oh, what, what do we do? So, he'd get me some race fuel and then someone else would say, oh, you need to hot up the engine, like, get a port and poly tea, go and do that. And then mm. like, someone's like, all right, you need to get some new tires. So, he'd get me new tires. Like, he didn't know. We were just all learning as we're going. Yeah. So, yeah, he was into it for sure, like loved it. Um, he probably wished he could have raced when he was younger. Yeah. He did a bit of trials and went down Fink, but um, just a bit of, you know, cruising around on the bike with some, with some mates as far as he went. But, yeah, he was right into it. Do you think about him a lot these days, like when you're winning these championships and up on the 
up on the podium with like your daughter on the seat like does he cross your mind a lot yeah of course you know especially at the end of the season if you you know when i've won the championship like i know he'd well uh, he'd like to be there for sure but i know he is anyway so yeah. i you know it's always i'm always thinking about him and our family's really cool we talk about him all the time so it's, it, it's nice you've never made a very big deal out of it though you no know, like you know like if some people would it like adds to their story and they want to tell that story but that's like it's just not your deal eh? like you're so you don't really even feel like the need to publicize anything i feel like no you know like i, I don't want it to be a sob story like it, it, it is sad and everything but we um you know you just got to get on with life yeah don't you so that's what we did yeah it, and it's, yeah it just I, I really remember when todd said that that like you know, because when all the kids do have the flash shit and, you know, here comes Ferris and you're not going out and you're not doing that stuff. And, yeah, I remember him saying, like, yeah, I'd never, ever give him shit. Like, he did so much just to race. And I was like, fuck, that's pretty cool. And and it, I don't think a lot of people knew what you had to go through to do that. Like, you were even, you were even like, running the farm pretty much, hey, and the sawmill and, like, because I remember Todd was saying that you were, like, sacking, like, adults and shit if they weren't <laughs> working and stuff. Yeah, I told Daka that story, actually. He thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I I wasn't running it, obviously. I was only 10 and 11. But when, you just owned it, right? Yeah, we owned a sawmill. We had, like, 10 employees. Um, I had, you know, a lot to do with it. Not not logistics and stuff. I was probably too young for that. But I was I was up there every day working. And What work know, would you do there? Oh, you know, stacking or driving driving the loaders, <laughs> um, bringing in logs, taking out timber, you know, loading the trucks driving the trucks down the road you wouldn't believe it man but yeah we used to get up to all sorts of shit out there on the farm yeah i bet yeah and um mate driving dozers driving tractors because we had pretty big farm as well 1600 acres yeah we're we're growing crops um dad would leave me out there just working all day long plowing paddocks and i'd ride home in the dark like a couple of k home and meet up at the dinner table he'd be like i had to go today and i was like nine years old Fuck, that's Dri- driving a 140 horsepower tractor <laughs> mate it's like i grew up in the 50s when like responsibility was just <laughs> you just given so much responsibility yeah. that's how it was i was driving like you know like i said trucks and dozers and all our equipment had no brakes and we lived in hills and we just got by but there's some pretty big consequences like if you fucked up on the farm like you're in big big trouble in what way like because you're given so much responsibility uh, when you mess up like you, you know your dad or your mum's going to rev the shit out of you because they know how dangerous or how bad the situation could have been yeah so they want you to learn really fast so i had to i had to learn super fast you know like in the middle of spinning saws and just logs and stuff going everywhere and since you know i could walk i've been up there in that situation so definitely had a different childhood to well probably any other motocrosser yeah growing up in farms sawmills trucks and stuff um but yeah but it's got to be a big part of why you're dean ferris now yeah um i'm sure it has um because it's just a work ethic man and like yeah just even being up there like seeing how hard you worked on the yeah the, the video shoot and i had um i had a lot of chores you know like when i was eight years old probably around seven or eight it's like all right you want to ride bikes you got to clean the mill that's your job it's like, all right, well, that was a lot of work. That was a lot of heavy, heavy work cleaning the mills, like just shit everywhere, bark all the time. I had to drive the loader in, clean it up. Um, my cousins would come riding every weekend. The mill had to be cleaned first. Yeah, right. So like Saturday morning, 4 a.m., 
I'd ride my bike up the road in the dark, turn the lights on in the mill, clean the mill so I could go riding when the boys woke up when they were camping. So you'd already done all the work just so that you guys could ride. Yep. Yep. Unless I'd persuaded dad that I'll do a little bit in the afternoon as well. But that was how, how it was, man. I'd be up there in the dark. Sometimes I'd have a mate with me like from school and I'd drag him up there and he'd be like, this is fucking crazy. Like I don't have any chores. Yeah. I'm like, man, on the farm you do. So we, we just got to do it because otherwise we don't get to go riding today. Like that was how keen I was to ride. Like I just had to get the chores done and you know, there was heaps of other responsibilities as well. Yeah. Yeah, was your dad one of those, like, real old-school hard dudes? Yep. I can imagine, like, just the full fucking, the full OG, yep. hard-as-fuck farm boy. Yeah. Farm strong, probably lift 300 kilos of anything. Yep. Yeah, that was him. So, um, it was good, though. Like, a lot of responsibility. Um, but it, 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 it was cool. I, like, at the time, I thought, oh, this isn't fair. All my friends don't have to do anything, but... Mm. Um, it's funny though. I, I also older. had more than my friends did. Like I'd get a bike so I could kind of see like, oh, this is cool. Like I get to ride and, um, we, we had the farm. I, you had tracks, I had tracks. Um, so I didn't take it for granted. I kind of knew from an early age, like I've got this pretty good, like, cause all my best mates want bikes, but they can't have them. So, or they can't afford them or, or whatever it was. And like, we didn't have much money and I had shit bikes, but at least I could go riding. And the cool thing was actually we had unlimited supply to petrol. We had a petrol shed. So uh-huh. we had like, I don't know, thousand litre tank for petrol just for chainsaws and stuff like that. So every day I just top up the 80, mix up the oil, go ride to ran out of fuel, fuel it up again all day, every day. That's what I used to do. Really? Yep. Fuck. That, that's got to play a big part into your fitness now too, right? Yeah, um, probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It's, a I lot guess of, just bike time. Like, because, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to be like an expert or something. Like, you probably had 10,000 yeah, hours. Yeah, pro- I, I, I would have learned heaps of skills as well. Because I was the youngest in my generation as well. All my cousins were coming riding and they yeah. were like growing up you know, like on four, 400s and 426s, 450s. Mm. And I was on an 80. Like, felt like I was on an 80 forever. Because I got mm. on an 80 when I was eight, right? Oh, okay. Before that, I went from like KDM 50 to a dad's like, I'm getting your YZ80. It's time. So I had a YZ80 and. And it rode it till I was like 80s until I was like 14. But I had to keep up. Like we were like out trail riding. Trail riding like and stuff, yeah. On like log roads. So like really fast, straight stuff. And I had to keep up. So, and often it was, it was quite wet that time. Like in late 90s, real wet. Mm. So got a lot of mud riding in. And that's probably where those skills come from. Because like every day I was out riding, just riding in the mud. Whether it was raining or not. Yeah. What was it like then? Because how old were you when you went to Europe? Uh, 21. I was was 21. that the biggest culture shock you've ever had? Nah, not really because my mum's from Sweden actually. Oh, really? And I'd done a couple of holiday trips when I was a, a bit younger. Ah, so you'd seen outside I'd, of I'd seen it, yeah. And yeah, I, right. I, I kind of knew what I was in for. But I wouldn't say it was a culture shock, but man, I was pumped to be there mm. for sure. Like just traveling Europe, different cultures in every country. It was actually really cool. In 2012, my first year there, it was, it was a really memorable year. Yeah, because Todd has super fond memories of that that European experience as well. Yeah. and Because um, it's so different. and it So seems like- different, man. Like, we can't even explain it. Everything you do is different. Everything from where you eat, how you sit, what you do, like when you get up, what you see. What, what time you eat. What, yeah, everything, man. Like language, culture, everyone's persona, um, just everything dicks out in the sauna 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the Finnish dudes. Yeah, dicks out in the sauna. Fucking love it, eh? When we were, <laughs> when we were in Thailand, I had a guy from Finland. I stayed with him for a couple of days. And then he's like, okay, bro, I'm going for a shower now. And I was like, yeah, man, do your thing. And I'm like sitting there like looking on my laptop. And I, I fuck, I had some video up or something. And he just comes next to me, fucking stands there, arm on the table. What you looking at, man? That looks very cool. And his just cock is just right there. Oh, and mate. Like, I'm just lucky that I know that Euros fucking love that shit. Yeah, they don't care. Man, my first year when I rode for Ice One, that's a Finnish team, and they're just... Freaky motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, but they just love their saunas, right? Oh. So we're in Spain, but they had a portable spawn, uh, uh, sauna, and the boys were like, yeah, let's go for a sauna. So I was like, yeah, that'd be sick. And then I was like, dude, what? what I, do you I, I was jumping in there first. So I was like, what do you wear? Like just your jocks or your boardies? Or, and they're like, man, we don't we don't wear anything in a sauna. You don't wear anything at sauna. I was like, whatever. So I just went me jocks in the sauna and then all the lads come in. You're the only fucking frigid bitch there with them. I'm the only <laughs> fucking guy there with me shorts off. I just felt like a knob. I had uh, my shorts on. So the next day, got the gear off, in there for the lads. That's how one, they do it. One of the boys. One of the boys, yep. Cops out with the boys. <laughs> Except I didn't have a beer. They were drinking beers. Oh, dude. I remember like um, when, when Roxon first moved over to the States, we had like this hot tub on the like you know where we lived in Murrieta right yep. like up on the hill and you could like see over we had like six set up every afternoon or every night we'd have like beers in, in the in the hot tub fucking rocks and used to come just get off and like everyone at the like everyone at the house like fucking guys got like he didn't give a fuck it was so funny dude crazy German and I remember his dad the first time I met his dad too we were at uh motocross nations in Colorado and then uh and then father comes down and just fucking just swinging and that's in, oh, the, mate. In, the, in the fucking hot tub. Like, it's just spinning out the star with ages. They just don't give a fuck. Nah, they don't care. That's, cool, it. that's how most of Europe is, really. They don't care. Yeah, Europe doesn't give a fuck. Nah. It's sick. But yeah, old, old Todd, like, he talks about Europe all the time. And I guess that's why he just jumped at the chance to go back there this year. Like, yeah, for sure. It looks like he has a good time over there. Like him and Jill. I've been following Jill and, man, they've been going to some cool places. I'm going to have to get some notes off them next time I go to Europe or at least mm. go for a holiday. I'm going to take some notes to see where to go because they've been going some really cool places. Dude, Todd's always been that guy too. Like, even when we were kids, Todd's the guy that wants to go on adventures. Like, some of the retarded fishing trips and, like, just they him and Maddie every year and, like, their old school group of mates, they do the boys on tour. So, the between Christmas and New Year's every year, they just fucking go off the grid. And, like, <laughs> but Todd's just always been the adventure kid. Like, he just fucking frosts it so hard and like because where they grew up up at atherton it's just like unlimited waterfalls unlimited dams unlimited rivers unlimited creeks fucking volcano craters like he was just that kid and it's cool that he still did that in europe yeah it's just so much a part of who he is i spent a bit of oh well not a bit of time i went to todd's place once um i was gonna ask if you'd ever yeah when uh, i did the queensland's at mariba in 2010 and we stayed there a night or two or something and Man, we went out wakeboarding and done done some cool stuff. Um, I do a lot of that stuff down Kogel as well. We've got some cool mountains around the place. Yeah, I haven't lately. That. I feel like I've been so fried from training this year. But, man, we've got some, some waterfalls and mountains, and I'm usually up for something as well. So, yeah. I, like, all the mountains you see, like, from my house, I've walked. Yeah. Just there's no walking track, man. Just straight through the bush, straight at the top, see what it's all about. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you were saying that we should have gone up there one of the days. Fuck, it got so windy that day. Yep. Um, that year when Todd was on the podcast, he was talking about how when you and him were in the open class, it seemed like it was you two qualifying 
every moto, whether he come and caught you or you caught him, it just seemed like you guys were always together that year. Oh, man. Me and Todd go way back. I think so. 06 um, was our first year, like, racing each other. And he whooped me. He, he kind of won everything. I was second. Um, and then that he actually – he's part of the reason why I've, I've made it so far, I must say. Like, he – he pissed me off so much by beating me, you know, just whooping my ass as a junior. That I remember, I went into the off season in oh end of oh six. I was like, I'm gonna train like a demon. That's when I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna race motocross. And he was on the back of my mind all the time. I'm like, I need to beat this kid. Like I'm sick of it. And then come out in the first race in oh seven. Um, I remember in the first moto it was Sunny State and Coolum. I can't wheel my brains out just trying to beat him. But the second moto, I beat him. And it was the first time I'd, I'd straight up beaten him. And since then, like, I, I believe, like, him and I just kept pushing each other to mm. another level because we went straight into pro lights, um, did good, you know, and then into 450s did good. And we just seemed like we weren't always there, always racing each other, like, literally everywhere we were on the track he was there yeah I, I was on yeah where i was he was so um and we carried that all all the way to the grand prix actually yeah yeah that's what he said he was like yeah. dude i just can't fucking i couldn't get away from him nah it was ridiculous man and i did listen to his podcast and 100 percent, he was 100 percent right like what was that what, there was that one moto he was talking about where like you guys just battled like the entire is it was it like lommel or something like that um because I remember watching it too. Because I think the the TV kept going back to you guys. Because you guys were passing people, but it's like you both got a shit start or something, and you just like came through the pack together. But the whole time you were coming through the pack, you were actually passing each other at the grand at the grand prix. Yeah, I think it might have been might have been Lommel actually. Was it Lommel? I think it was Lommel man. Lommel in yeah fifteen, I believe. I believe we were coming through the pack, and yeah, I think you're right. But we kept passing each other. Yeah, like you were passing each other the whole time, but passing other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was Lommel, actually, Moto 2. And I remember, like, it was so rough that year, dude. It was unbelievable. Like, I don't know what it was, but I remember putting in a surge to get Todd, and it was like everything I had, and I'd get him and then just fall in a heap. Like, this is later in the Moto. Like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, and then... He'd put in charge and get me, man. We we passed each other so many times; it was ridiculous. And then, I think I, I by memory, in the end, I just hit a wall and he beat me, right in the distance. I don't know, but that night actually was the first and only time I've ever thrown up from physical exhaustion. Really? Yeah, I went out to a restaurant with some mates, and I was sitting on the gutter, just had the cold sweats and was not feeling good, eh? And I was sitting there for ages, and then I. I hadn't even eaten anything since like lunchtime because I was so I was just so crook after the moto, and just sitting there heaving, heaving on the side of the gutter just because I was that wrecked. Never had it before. Never thrown up from going hard training like that. That's full on, mate. Uh, that was next level. Like Lommel fifteen. If you want to watch a crazy race, go watch it. Yeah, the track was so so heavy. I remember my lap time in that moto. Track got that rough, and I got that tired that. It dropped like my lap time dropped twelve seconds a lap. It was just ridiculous. Holy shit! The track was just brutal, mate. That like are the Euro dudes the baddest dudes at motocross? Do you think? In yeah, yeah. Overall, like what they have to go through. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, man, one week you're riding on like the shittest, most hard packed, slippery, dusty track you'd ever seen in your life. Next weekend you go to Lommel and you're dealing with beach sand. Then the next weekend you're dealing with mud. Then the next weekend you're dealing. So the, the elements they got to deal with, 
and 20, 20 Grand Prix. Yeah. Plus the travel too. The travel. Yeah. Especially now, like the, the Grand Prix season is nuts. And the the way it is now, just everyone's pushing each other at a high level. Like I, I believe you, like the, the European guys are just another level of motocross now. At motocross. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you think is going to happen at Redbud? I think it's going to be a mutter, dude. I think it's supposed to like fucking I, piss down. Oh man, I've seen the forecast. I hope not, but oh, man, the way Hurling was riding, I wouldn't be surprised if he just waxes him by a mile. He's a fucking animal. Yep, especially the second half of the season, mate. He's like at start of the season, him and Corolli are riding away from the field for, by 30 seconds. And mm. like, this is the best motocrossers in the world. In the end, like Hurling's was riding right away. Well, yeah. Just riding away by 30 seconds mm. over Corolli. He's just going so fast, ridiculous. Dude, I hope Mitch fucking kills it there. I hope he really opens. Oh yeah, I never answered your question. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Mitch gonna he's gonna do good. And you know what, Kirk went good last year, but still he flew under the radar. Like his yeah. performance there was unreal. So we've got a pretty good team, but I reckon they're their underdogs. Like they're kind of gonna go unnoticed, but I reckon they'll get a good result. Especially if it's muddy too, I reckon. Yeah, we're pretty good in the mud, really. Yeah, yeah. I think so. It's, and like, I mean, everyone just, thinks of Australia as like this barren, dry desert, no, deserty no place, but like here on the east coast, it rains a lot. Yeah, and, and me- the difference is right. Like, there's a lot of private tracks. So if it if it rains, like like for instance, me, I can just go ride mud in my backyard, mm. and I do. Um, and I'm pretty decent at the mud at, in, at a world stage. Like, if it got muddy at the Grand Prix, like, me and Todd would just be another level up. Yeah. And I'm sure he's done the same thing. But in in Europe and America, um, there's only public tracks and they just close and down. And they close the tracks, yeah. Yeah, that's the difference. Like, people don't realise how good we've got it here mm. for, for riding, for riding motocross. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the Chad Reed thing with the motocross and nations? Oh, man, I think it was uncalled for like the way he called everyone out yeah like he should have just i don't know maybe not said anything just i think that being a bit more graceful like mm. you know poor old mitch and kirk and 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 the, the and hunter that got picked like they've earned that and they're the fastest guys i believe um they didn't need to get roasted by chad he mm. didn't need to do that for sure i think that like my feelings about it uh and and i wanted to talk to kerry about it when he was on the podcast but i just forgot because he like said something about it and it's like i think Ke- kerry who kerry hart oh Car- carrie yep. yeah yeah so he um he made a post about it as well and a bunch of big people got on the bandwagon after chad did it and i was like fuck man like on the one hand if chad like all right if chad reed Say, like sends me a text which like obviously it's not happening Chad Reed sends me a text and goes hey bro um, man really really want to do like one last donations I'll, I'll ride some motocross like what what do you reckon I'd go fuck yeah let's let's make it happen right so but instead of him texting me put that on Instagram before the race post a picture of you riding or like a video of you at your house riding outdoors and say, man, this this would be my last motocross of nations ever. It's in Red Bud. I fucking rode here for, for years. This would be the best send-off ever, right? Would you feel like, would you say, fuck, Chad, that's probably, a, that's probably pretty sick for everything that you've done. Uh, look, I get it, and it would have been cool, but, you know. 
There's no, there's, for me, there's no way that if Chad trained that he, he couldn't be as good as Gibbsy outdoors or, or Mitch. Like, they're, pro- they're riding better. They'd be fitter. Like, but in terms of, of what Chad Reed has done for Australian motocross, what well, Chad I, has I done. I think that was the big question. Like, you know, Mitch's going good. Kirk's mm. going good. Hunter's obviously fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't need to introduce him. But, like, man, Chad, you haven't ridden outdoors in so long and, I don't know. I guess the the people on the board need a proof. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if he got ahead of it, right? If he posted and fully took it serious and said, I'm going to train, I'm going to do this and do that, then like, I feel like everyone would have been pretty on board. Yeah, right? maybe. But the, where we're going with this is he probably went about the wrong, the wrong way. Well, I think... Because at that, the moment, like people are like, you know, whatever. When you, do, when you complain about something after the fact... Like what? What I think is, if he got ahead of it, put it out to the Australian public, MA could have. There's no way they could have left him off the team because of the public support that he would have got. Like whether or not he's the best dude for the team at the time, mm. I think is irrelevant because if Chad Reed says he wants to race one last motocross of nations and he says it months before, and he did, you know, he done that one national. I think he did the one national after to kind of prove a point, he did, yeah. and he did good because it was a mutter. Like, if that wasn't a mud race, I don't think Chad Reed does as good, purely based on fitness. Like, the intensity, the speed, everything mm. just would have been way different. But if he comes out, gets ahead of it, gets an entire country excited, which people would have frothed, man. People would have been fucking stoked for that. And then does everything the right way, even goes and puts a bit of effort into, like, Mitch and Hunter or Gibbs and Hunter and gets a bit of team vibe going, like... Because really, there's not a lot of vibe around the Australian team. Like we're kind of we kind of just send them over there and like watch the race. Yeah. There's not really a lot of like. Um, maybe you felt that too. Like when you did motocross nations, it doesn't really seem like Australia you're, fully gets into it. Yeah, you're right. Like there there would have been a, like a massive vibe about it, but I think the way that he put it out there afterwards, how pissed he was and this and that, and you know torching the riders like. Uh, yeah, that, it was wrong and the way that he did it. I think it would, would have lost a lot of fans. Like, yeah. a lot, you know, a lot of people have followed him the whole life, and then he does that. And it's like, oh, man, that's not cool. And and the other thing too is like, you got to think of the the economics of it all. Like a dude like Mitch is barely making any money. Like barely, ma- he's fucking barely making money to race a motorcycle. He goes to motocross the nations, has a great result. It might get him a ride in Australia. It like that's his life. Like. Chad doesn't need that. Like Chad's career isn't hinging on yep. a good result at motocross and nations. So that's where I think it's unfair to like roast them and then almost bring like a negative light on a dude that like, like he doesn't know fucking Mitch. He doesn't know his situation. He doesn't know that if he doesn't get a ride, the dude's going to live with his parents in fucking cans on a farm in Gordon Vale. Yeah. You know, there's so many layers to it, and I think it's yeah, very quick I wonder to just... What, you, you sometimes wonder what happened behind the scenes. What didn't we see? What did, didn't we hear? You mm. know, what was said? You know. But that's where I reckon if he put it out to the public, didn't even say anything to MA, just did like this massive Instagram, had a video of him riding outdoors. MA, there's no way that they couldn't have picked him. They would have been so backed into a corner regardless of who was racing and who was doing well. Yeah, but MA, I don't know. They, they would have been asking questions like, well... He doesn't have a bike, so. But he, yeah, that's what, that's the thing too. He had the you know, bike. And also, they might have been like, well, he's got five, six weeks, you know, if that long. 
Can he be fit? Exactly. That's what I mean. Like the whole way he did it, he needed to do it months ago. Yeah. Like as soon as Supercross finished, if if it because he made it seem like it meant so much to him, and it's like if it did mean that much to you, why was it silent until the team was picked and then you? made a post saying that you were fucking disappointed if it did mean as much as what you said it would mean and i do believe like it, it's a shame for me in a way oh. that like <laughs> she have a front fronty over oh, the bars. it's my daughter again <laughs> yeah she did over the bars um it, it isn't like i think chad's a dude that never really got like a proper send-off in a way like and then this year was a super rough year for him super cross wise didn't really have much going on results wise or team wise so it's like it is a shame for everything that he's done to not actually have like that that real hero send-off that he does deserve like yeah the, the dude's a fucking hero yeah that i mean um but he's got supercross to do his send-off which he'll do of course because yeah. he's racing next year and maybe for the next million years if <laughs> for all we know but yeah. if next year is his last year that'll be the send-off in the supercross you know yeah. um but yeah he did want like he publicly said that he wanted to send off to be at motocross nations so mm. but again it's no no point when it's I, don't, I don't know five weeks to go and it, ma it, doesn't it, know if you're right it just, yeah i know that's right like ma might have had a different you know look look on it they're like no we want to send the best team especially in the, like, the economy we're in like we're out coaching like me and gibsy and even other people like cloudy and that that haven't been on the team the last couple of years we're out there doing coaching sessions so we can raise money to go yeah. to red bud you know what I mean? So, MA might have been like, no, these these guys are putting the effort. We know they're fit. They're fast. They've got bikes. They're going to yep. put, you know, they're ready to go. So, they might have been thinking like, all right, well, we're, we're going to be serious about it since, you know, all these guys have been serious about trying to help us get there. You know, a lot of other people are in, in motocross, you know, in the, in the industry have been trying to raise money just to get there. Mm. So... I don't know. There's a there's yeah, there's definitely a lot to it, but I personally and I would have been campaign like, man, if Chad Reed come out after Vegas and said, All right, my next race is gonna be Motocross of Nations, I'm not on the team yet, I'm gonna do everything I can to get I would have been pumping his tires up for the whole thing. Like, cause I I haven't really been super excited about Motocross of Nations as an Australian. Like it feels like it's really swept under the rug. It feels like there's not a lot that kind of goes in terms of build up here so it's like it, it would have been cool i would have been campaigning for it yeah yeah we, we kind of need something like every other country like for for grand in grand prix for instance every country has their own riders over there so like the french people are gonna cheer for the french guys yeah we're here in australia in the in the mx nationals and you know there's not it's not that big it's not like ama that you know yeah thousands of fans um they're all they're all just cheering their country where here it's like they're going to the nationals watch us go around they're not really cheering for anyone because they don't have a countryman or anything yeah you know what i mean and i think that's why it's maybe not as followed as the other countries yeah or they're as passionate you know because yeah. well one it doesn't come to australia yeah and i'm sure if it was the aussies would get behind it but those guys at the grand prix or all those countries over there they're they're exposed to that year in year out yeah. watching their their guys go good at their home grand prix and then yeah. the nations come around and they've still got that same vibe yeah. and they get get their guys pumped up and and you know america it, you know they're, they're s- as patriotic as it gets oh anyway. man anyway so yeah they don't need help getting fired up yeah yeah i think that's why aussies are kind of like oh, 
you know, like in football here, it's massive because everyone's got a football team. And but a state and a town. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're like here. <laughs> I'll just grab my daughter again. <laughs> That's all good. Well, yeah, like here, no, no one really has a favourite rider. I actually tried to change it a couple of years ago and um, bring out some merchandise, like Ferris merchandise, try to, you know, get a few extra fans at the track. And mm. if they had a Ferris shirt on, they, they might cheer for me. Yeah. So... Um, I think it worked a little bit. Like, for instance, at Coolum with the with the crowd we had, like I had a lot of people cheering for me and a lot of Ferris shirts there. Yeah. And I think it did change it, but not every rider there has their own merchandise, you know? Yeah. And and riders need to, like, think about themselves as a brand more, like, in the, in the way that you did too, you know? But uh, there's probably, like, a lot of stuff you could do in terms of, like, you know, even Fox making stuff for you and, you know, different brands getting behind it. But... I wonder, I don't even know if, are you allowed to sell merch at the events? Um, I think if you set it up through Kevy, you, yeah. you could. But for instance, there's, there's like no money in merch anyway, especially yeah. at this level when there's not, You're not, not selling a lot. Of not quantity. selling a lot. Like for instance, we we bought, I don't know, five $6,000 worth and we only just got our money back. Yeah. Because by the time you get it made, it was like, there's not much margin anyway. Mm. So we basically got our money back. We had a few few leftovers this year at Coolum, so I just gave them away. Mm. Like a whole bunch of jumpers and it, it was hot, but I <laughs> I convinced some kids to wear jumpers all day just to <laughs> have number one plates on, on their back. But yeah, it's a whole lot of effort, little reward. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like, it's not like going to Supercross and you got, 50,000 fans every weekend you could mm. really make a killing doing that kind of stuff and it's worth the effort we're here it was just we just did it to do something different yeah right mate well I don't know how long it's been but uh, it's fucking 6 o'clock holy time goes time goes by quick when you're having fun mate <laughs> really dude I'm really really glad that you um you come on it's been a really interesting chat man and you're a guy like I met when I said to people oh Ferris is coming like oh he doesn't talk much but it's like it's funny you say that like i don't practice for many people but when i do and someone comes down like for instance um richie evans come down this year and he's like saying this about that guy and this guy and have you heard this and that and that and i'm like dude i don't hear anything over the hills here because the only people that brings the news is like you You, if you come you know what i mean i'm like so what do you hear about me and he goes man you're actually a mystery to everyone no one knows what you do down there yeah so yeah there you go hey it's a good way to be but you know, I, it was cool for me. Like I said, we did the Fox shoot, which is coming out soon. Everyone watch it. It's fucking cool. We had a good time. But um, yeah, I had, a, I had an awesome time, man, there. And I didn't know what to expect there either. Like we haven't had a lot to do with each other. Even when you're in America, I didn't really see, uh, you know, being at the test yep. track a couple of same times. But, you know. Uh, but you, you can see down there in Kyle. I've got it pretty good. Like yeah, man. I gear up in my garage now because I just built a house out in the farm again. And um. I just I just roll out of my garage, straight down to my track and do my motos and then just roll back home. Yeah. That's how I go. So I'm I'm pretty grateful I, I can do that. Like a lot of the guys over on the coast here that you know and, and mm. that's probably well, Richie, why man. Richie's moved back to Cairns cause and same with Jats because it's like an hour and a half each way to ride and then it's like fuck this noise, I'm out. Yep. Yep. So um I'm glad I don't have to do that. You know, got the farm and I've got heaps of people down there that I probably should thank while I'm on here. Yeah. Like everyone in Kyogle I know, um, and grew up with, and they all have, they've all built tracks, and sometimes just for me, mm. just so I can go riding, and it's never a problem to go riding there. Like often, I'll just go riding at someone's place and just send them a message that I was there, or just say good day when I get there. So, and I, at any one time, I've got like I don't know half a dozen good tracks 
to ride, but you have to be on the inside to know, you know, because yeah. they're private tracks. So really grateful that I've got that. And um, I think, um, I you know, I owe it to a lot of those people, um, my success. I've got that variety and got tracks and and, and the ease and then have no stress to, to go or, 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 you know, I don't have to travel, so the commute time's less. I can put in more effort in my training. Anyway, Kyogre's a good place, and I'm glad you come down and no, you, you man, got I, to see it. I enjoyed it, dude. I had a really good couple of days there and just hanging with Vic and, and you know, the whole sort of little crew. Mick was there as well. We, yep. we had a good crew, and, yeah, it was it was good. It was an eye-opening uh, little trip because, um, I mean, like, yeah, like we've known each other for so long, but just never really took that much time to kind of get to know you i just kind of had one view of you as this kind of really closed dude that didn't say much but you know we had epic yarns out at kyogle and i and i knew after that that you would be a really good guy to get on the podcast so stoked to come on we talked for longer than i thought we would yeah so. thanks for the invite man no nah, appreciate it mate and good luck in the states i'll be uh getting up at three and watching you thank you see you mate. <laughs>